Hello humans, welcome to the M word, brought to you by Martin, that's me, and Matt, that's him. Sorry, I just dropped my phone then, probably got some echo on the start of the podcast, just to ruin it, and look really professional. Gary, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Or Burgers, as probably more known around the island, mm, yeah. I guess. Unfortunately, hence, yes. Hence the surname. <coughs> and I believe that came out, your brother, is your brother older than you? No, I'm the eldest, and oh, we right, were, because okay. oh, my surname's Hines, yeah. we, everybody... My dad and everybody, my kids were all called Beans. We were all called Heinz Beans all our lives. And the inevitable Mike Doyle, who gives everybody a nickname around the island, uh, there was an advert on the telly for Heinz Beans and Bacon Burgers, and I became the burgers out of that. So, unfortunately, that's where it came from. I'm not a lover of them, but... Burgers. I thought I'd stick that in there now. (laughs) Might look like I am, but I'm not. I I presume you don't mind the nickname, though. No, I don't like nicknames. Well, I've got to put up with them. Pretty much, yeah. So, early days... Where were you brought up? I'm assuming you're a good Manxie. Yeah, good Manxie. Brought up in Douglas. Um, lived on uh, just off Ballinard Road, Norwood Drive, till I was five. And then my parents bought a house in Onkin, just above the nursery hotel, if anyone can remember that. Where the Archibald Knox is now. There used to be a pub called the Nursery Hotel. And um, I grew up in the first row there, virtually close. Uh, 22 houses, um, all full of young kids. Right. And like school and wise, were you academic particularly, or you couldn't be bothered with school? Um, if you read my reports, just said I was lazy. Um, I, I, I'm not an, I'm, I'm not a stupid person. I'm quite a- academic, but I just, I'm bone, I was bone idle at school. Um, so yeah, my daughter, when I'm trying to nurture her through life, when she was at school, uh, my mum took the greatest of pleasure in producing one of my reports. And, and yeah, I don't be like your dad. I didn't have a leg to stand on after that. And sport-wise, was that because then you were more interested in? Sp- well, no, because then if you talk about laziness, you think, why, why would you want to do sport? I, 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 I would say it was pr- a bit of both. I mean, going through a younger life, um, it, times are hard. You know, they're not like they are now. There was a, parents had no money, so nothing was uh, a given anymore. And I suppose at the time I grew up, um, I always remember for Christmas when you were eleven, you seemed to get some musical type thing like a cassette recorder, which no people now won't even know what that is. Um, and then you got a bike uh, for Christmas when you were twelve. Um, which in them days was just a basic drop handlebar, five-speed bike, probably from a catalogue or from uh, something like that. And, and if you had a, any competitive spirit in you whatsoever, you'd headed, you headed down to the bowl to race down there. And that's, that's the first time I competed was March when I was uh, 13. And did you ask for that bike or was it just... Yeah, I always wanted a bike. Uh, a funny little story around that time, but... What, we all wanted bikes, but our parents couldn't really afford bikes. So I grew up in Onken, and there used to be a tip in Onken up by Cronk Namona. You won't know about it. I, I'm gonna, I, I can do. see throughout No, this I do up the oh, right. slip road. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, so we go foraging round up there in the summer, trying to pull off bits of bikes and take them home and, and try and build something that worked out of it. And we had a little course out of our cul-de-sac. Andrew Nicholson, who uh, grew up across the road from me, so we, uh, we competed all the way through our life together. But we had a little course that came out up the pavement and into what is now Birch Hill Pass, where Steve Shimon lives now. Mm. And it cut down through some um, woodland and, a, and and shot around in front of the nursery hotel. And these bikes that we had put together, none of them had brakes. So we would be herring through the, on a time, somebody had a timer on a watch, you know, very sketchy arrangement, <laughs> and hair up the back lane of Birchley Terrace and back into our street. And it just shows you even at that age, we're probably eight, nine, ten in them days. But your competitive spirit was there, and uh, and when it went from there, really. Do you uh, ever do any other sport? Or was it always just cycling? Was the um, I played football a little bit when I was younger. I played for um, for 
for gyms under 14s but I, by that stage I was, I'd started to ride my bike as well and, and football just went by the wayside mm. for me uh, both my brothers played a lot of football um, but no I, I was I was into my bike from the first not nearly the first day I rode it mm. it's, it's, it's funny because it starts sounding like war stories but when you talk about those early days and not have much money that's you know, we're not talking the 40s here either no, 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 no. <laughs> as no. young as you look. I was born in yeah. 62, so yeah. we're talking 1970. Yeah. You know? yeah. So it's kind of hand-to-mouth almost living. Well, yes and no. I think our parents had priorities. You know, but they had a mortgage to pay. Um, your, your father went out. In them days, um, parents were dependent on each other. They're not so much now. Mm. Um, the mother looked after the house and brought the kids to school and that sort of thing, and the father went out and earned a crust, and that's how it was. Were you close to your folks? Yes, very close. Um, although it was very different, Dad was seen. My dad seemed to work so hard, and, uh, and and when he came in at night and we had tea, then my mother went out and worked at night. So, um, yeah, I, I'm close. I'm cl- my father's still alive now. My mother's been passed on for 21 years, but I'm still close. With, we're still close with father now. Yeah. yeah. Family-wise, you've got how many brothers and sisters? Or two, brothers? Br- two brothers. Oh, yeah. um, Nigel, he's 18 months younger than me, and Stephen, yeah, he's the, the big muscly one who people know on the island, played a lot of football, as, as did Nigel, to be fair. Nigel's sporty, football, cricket, you name it. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we, as, as we've got older, we've got a lot closer. When, when you're adolescent boys... Banging heads. Banging more than heads is, is, is the least of our worries. Yeah. We hated each other, I think, but... Uh, but yeah, as you grow older, you just grow together. Is, is that like sharing a room together then in the family house and things <laughs> like that? Is that, is that I think that would be, we couldn't do that one day because oh, yeah. I was the eldest. I had my own little box room and then my other two brothers shared a room. But yeah, that would become a bit of an unlivable situation. As you say, were your, your parents sporty at all? Considering all three of you were. Did you my mother wasn't, no. My mum was originally from Wigan and used to come to the Isle of Man on holiday. My dad was very sporty. Mm. He's the youngest of three brothers. Um, Reggie was his older brother and, and older again was Bernie, um, Bernie Hines, who had a garage in Laxey, Princess Motors. He was a performance mini um, technician and a guitarist as well. And he, um, he and he, I've got two cousins uh, off the back of, of, of that uncle. So they were, my dad was very sporty though. He's captain at Onken football, brought them th- from the second division to the first division. And um, yeah, he follows sport. He's a, yeah, he was always a good footballer. Let's take a little bit into the cycling then. You started say so you start racing then down the well what we call the bowl it's probably <coughs> nsc now first my first story is going down there when i was 13 with andrew nicholson we we got these new bikes for christmas and we rode down to the uh, bowl can i interrupt because yeah. as well i suppose set the scene back then it's not cycling what we see today is it there's, i guess there's probably 10 or 15 of you racing no uh, there was lots of people racing. Oh, really? all okay. kids down at the bowl was oh, under 16s right so we go down to the bowl it was run by ron killier and uh, Jeff Quine, who I'd love to touch on a bit more about Jeff later on. Um, and we would race down the bowl, and it's my first meeting of the likes of Steve Jockin, Eddie Cooley, John Purvis, Mark Gage. These were all iconic names when I was growing up. They were only probably three years older than me, but when you're 13, that seems like they're growing up. They're hairy and everything, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> um, and they race down the bowl, which is now the National Sports Centre. And it's not too dissimilar, apart from there's no pitch in the middle. Uh, one thing I do remember, though, after we'd raced, they said there's a handicap road race after this, and it's going from the QB in groups to uh, Balagheri and back. So it's only two, two and a half miles out the road. There used to be a little sweet little cafe in Balagheri on the mm. right-hand side. And I'd never been out of Douglas before on my bike, so I did, we didn't have a clue where we were going. And somebody was supposed to look after us. As soon as we were caught, he just 
he just shot off and that was the end of it with me and Andrew Nicholson well we didn't know where we were going and we got we hit this huge hill which was is the Battle of Hutchin and we had to walk the last hundred oh, meters really? of it yeah and then the the marshal gave us a suite called a spangle again you won't remember any of these but at the turn so we could get back to the quarter bridge and when we got back everyone had gone oh, <laughs> welcome to road race welcome to road race we never went back that year <laughs> you, can ima- you know imagine like now even thinking of running a race on that road i appreciate yeah. you talking 30 40 years ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah. how oh, different yeah. it was 42 years ago i suppose yeah so did that get the bug then that racing start racing down the msc we didn't go back that year but we went back the following year and we were and when we, you're saying we you me Nicholson. and andrew nicholson yeah. really because we were there's only you know the our street was full of loads of but we were the keenest young lads and and we were a bit better prepared i think when we went back down we we're 14 we're older um and we handled ourselves a lot better yeah right yeah and when you say handle as in the, the well, guys we, 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 yeah we learned we, we, i think we were learning more by the time we were 14 and uh, and it was something we wanted to do so the word training came into it and so we started to train properly we could go out of town we could yeah. we were racing properly really and then there was an opportunity at the end of the year to go away and race towards the end of the season uh, jeff quine was going to take a team of schoolboys to southport so um and uh, we put our name down to go we had paper rounds and all sorts I was of just going to ask you the job. yeah yeah well, we had we would lie about our age we had paper rounds from 13 really and worked in uh, summerland a little bit in the summer and uh, we all had odd jobs you know so yeah we went to southport and raced and then we could watch the professionals after we'd raced and and it was just a great trip really yeah who else was on that tony meppen was on it i remember that he's the he's the football correspondent on manx radio on saturday mm-hmm. afternoon so Tony and his brother Stephen, there was uh, Mike Quine, who became uh, was Jeff's youngest son. He became probably my best friend throughout life, really. Uh, his older brother Kevin, maybe Mike Doyle, Mark Gage, people like that were all on that trip, yeah. So set the scene for, again, I suppose non-cyclists, when you certainly obviously know the name, you know the name Mike Doyle and Steve Jockin, in regard to where they got to within the sport, maybe give the listeners an idea of the kind of calibre riders that whether they were then and where they went on to be? Well, both of them were, were, were fantastic riders. I mean, Steve Jockin uh, achieved the, the unachievable, I thought, for someone on the Isle of Man at the time. And not only did he do that just by not working, Steve left school and served an apprenticeship. And in that time, he became the national junior champion. Uh, then he, uh, in no time at all, when he finished his apprenticeship, he moved away to Liverpool, turned professional. Um, he won stages of the milk race. The world famous uh, Abdu Japarov, the Russian sprinter that you see, had that huge crash on in the Tour de France. Jockey beat him in the milk race in, in sprints. But there was no pathway through to Europe in them days. Mm-hmm. So he, he was just a British based professional. Um, he, was, he was super fast. He was like a, a, an old fashioned version of Cav, but without that pathway to Europe. Yeah, so right. God knows what he could have achieved given the opportunity. Yeah. But he could also time trial. He's, uh, I've got a picture of him at home on a. Um, doing a lap at mountain time trial which we all know is a lap of the TT course in one hour 30 minutes and 12 seconds so that that's only two minutes slower than Rochi yeah. and that's in the 80s no with equipment. a bushy, bushy hairdo yeah. and uh, no tri bars and yeah. no disc wheels yeah, so yeah. and that's for a sprinter so it just shows you the calibre of riders that was around yeah. even in them days yeah, right. and Mike Doyle uh, a fantastic junior rider won the Peter Buckley series, uh, winning four of the events. So that's the UK yeah, series. The UK for national Texas, series yeah. for juniors. He won four of the events <coughs> and um, uh, won the series overall, and then moved to Paris, just outside Paris, and rode for FC Fontainebleau, which was a which was a, a famous club in them days. Uh, and I think Doyle would correct me probably, but I won his first fifteen races in France. 
and they had him down as being the next Shay Elliott. And we would all ride up to Doyle's house on a Sunday night, his mum and dad's house in Annika, and wait for the phone calls, see how he got on that day. And um, there was no mobiles, don't forget, in them days. You just Internet. stood at the phone box at the bottom of the road, wait, hope someone would ring you. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he did well, but I think I'm not too sure why he returned from France, if I'm honest. Whether it was a girlfriend thing or whatever, I don't know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was Sounds uh, one for the list that we can uh, chat to at some stage. Well, yeah, good luck with that one. Good luck with that one. We'll have a chat. So, then moving into junior ranks as a racing, and I guess you're competing at a reasonable level for, for your in your age yeah, category. I was never, I, at a very early age, I was well aware I was never going to make it as a, as a cyclist. I wasn't good enough, and I, and I wasn't applied enough either. I was, um, I was fast. I was I was a fast sprinter, but I, I was I, I just didn't have the work ethic to to warrant being a um, a better bike rider than than what I was. I was always a well aware, and it was drilled into me by my parents. You have to start earning money, and and mm. life is all you know. You've got to have some income. Um, Especially you talked earlier that that pathway as well into professionalism wasn't where now you can yeah, kind of see a path, yeah. and obviously you have the talent and the application. Yeah. There's a possibility, but you know, yeah, I, one event I do recollect quite uh, clearly, and I did write on my little list of prompts, um, hastily done thirty seconds ago. <laughs> Um, is going to the Junior Tour of Ireland when I was 15. It was the very first uh, stage race um, I ever went to. Um, and we, Isle of Man was putting a team in, consisting of Mike Doyle, Peter Kenyuk Sr., Tony Jenkins, and we didn't have a fourth junior. So because I was tall, <laughs> I had to go in and pretend I'd forgot my licence so I could ride. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I rode the Junior Tour of Ireland. Mike Kelly... At 15 or Yeah, at 15, Mike Kelly took us away, and uh, it was an eye-opener. But uh, it was fantastic. Um, um, I presume again that type of thing is done. Self, it's obviously self-funded. Yeah, just yeah. Love well, self I had twenty-two pounds I'd saved up. I, these I've got a great memory for these sort of facts and figures. I can't tell you what happened last week, but <laughs> um, I'd saved up twenty-two pounds for me dinner money from school and me uh, and me uh, working on a fish farm at the time in Baldwin. So, but I could I could only eat the smallest thing on the menu in the, at the end of the day. Tw- I got spaghetti bolognese every night. Oh, because of the cost. Because right. of the cost, yeah, I only had twenty-two pounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I finished twelfth overall in that junior tour. Um, we had the yellow jersey with Doyle, and we were leading the team prize. And then on the last day, it all went wrong. We yeah. uh, Doyle punctured, we had bike changes, and everything went went pear shaped. So we're going to get on to in, in a bit talking about when you got involved in uh, from a managerial point of view in, in local cycling. Mm-hmm. And we touched on before we came on air about that team team mentality, and you're trying to install that into into the culture here whether it was installed or not before but then you talk about that situation as a junior when you went away was that something you looked at as Doyle has got this opportunity and we're all working for the bigger cause yeah so maybe and, we, first and, we, and we did to really yeah, Mike, Mike Kelly managed the team who was obviously a great pedigree himself as a bike rider so um, yeah we had the yellow jersey and, and we knew but tactics have changed haven't they because there was when Doyle went for a bike change Everybody, the Irish attacked. I went with that move to try and mess it up. But now you wouldn't. You needed back to to, to bring it back. But in in them days, but still, that's team team mentality. Will be the tactics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were. I mean, I was fifteen. I was obviously only there to work and help the lads. And uh, I was like reveling in the opportunity. Really, I suppose. Right. Um, and then, I presume school finished. Did you Did you go on to further education or no. did time to get no, out? No, no, time to get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I had this B in me bonnet. I didn't want to work in an office either. I mean, I, I managed to leave school with five O levels, but I didn't. Um, I didn't want to work in an office, so I ended up going into a trade. To be fair, mm-hmm. so I served my time as a plumber and uh, carried on racing and um, 
had my first venture on t to ride on a track. Bear in mind, in these days, there's no velodromes, indoor velodromes. It was all outdoor. So like, I the, like the bowl, not the bowl, Oncom Park. Oh, Oncom Park, but you yeah, know, a bit more sophisticated. <laughs> so, yeah, there was no stock cars and it was yeah. a bit shorter. Yeah. Um, so whereas like tracks now, yeah, tracks now are all 250 meters indoor, super fast. You know, they were they were anything from 333 meters to 500 meters in these days. You know, you could you'd have echelons on the straights, and uh, you, yeah, I'll let you explain that to yeah. the non-cyclists. But um, where where was that? Sorry, um, everywhere, all over the UK, there was these mm -hmm. tracks. Um, and I went. I remember going away uh, to try and get a qualifying standard for the Commonwealth Games in uh, for Brisbane, 1982. What age would you have been? Nine, so be, yeah, 19. Right. So uh, I took me mini with me track bike in the back. Had yeah. a little mini, 300 pounds. And when you say track bike, is that like the fixer ones we see? Yeah, fixed, a fixed wheel track bike. Um, I didn't have a whole load of equipment, so my um, own fixed wheel track bike I bought uh, second hand off John Purvis. We talked about that earlier on. Um, and my road bike, went away in my little mini. I'd already written to every track league organiser because you used to get a BC handbook, British Cycling handbook in the old days. There was no online stuff. It was all, I remember that book. you get your handbook, look at what's on, write a letter to the organiser, ask could you ride his event and is there a possibility to put you up as well? That'd be quite nice. Um, and off you went and uh, um, rode. I clearly remember what I did. I, I went to Nottingham on the Sunday, Coventry Monday, Leicester Tuesday, Wolverhampton Wednesday, Stoke-on-Trent Thursday, Kirby Friday, and then back to the Isle of Man. Mm -hmm. raced, raced in six track leagues. Mm -hmm. Got me qualifying standard at Leicester and got picked for the games. In what di what area is that track, like discipline? Uh, kilometre. Okay. Uh, I mean, the kilometres are fast now, but in them days, I think the standard was a 111. So I got that at Leicester. Um, and That's then quick. Uh, Were you a big bit like big bear? No, I was slim. I was really thin. I was, uh, believe it or not. <laughs> I'll show you a picture well, to prove it. <laughs> obviously, if you see kilo, you know, for people, that's obviously oh, yeah, a kilometre yeah, as quick yeah. as you can go now. They're built like yeah, your brother. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, not in them days. We were, it, 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 we, we just, we were what we were. Yeah. You know, there was, no, technology wasn't there then, I suppose. One eleven's quick as well. For <clears throat> well, yeah, but I, I won the sprints throughout all them as well. So I was quite happy to. I knew it was going all right. I knew it was fast enough as a British amateur, but um, yeah, so it was a great was opportunity. For, and that was for Auckland, yeah, uh, Brisbane, Brisbane, Brisbane in, sorry, uh, sorry. in Australia, yeah, nineteen eighty two. So you went there then? Yeah, yeah, I rode. There. I was the only track rider, so I was left to my own devices. I had to just ride down the road to the track every day, and ended up training with the New Zealand junior team that were just happened to be able to use the track at the same time. Befriended one of them who became a good friend for five or six years, really. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I loved the uh, the experience of. It was quite surreal being asked for your autograph when you're an apprentice plumber, I'll be honest, <laughs> walking around. But it was great. And, and, and one thing, uh, uh, moving on to when I managed for a little while, for, well, for 20 years, the Isle of Man team, we had a problem in Delhi where we couldn't get riders to go because there was going to be all sorts of issues with water and food and all that sort of stuff. And I had to try and convince Mark, Christian and Chris Wall to at least go to Delhi because these experiences, however trivial they seem at the time, when you get older, you've, all you've got are memories, and, and memories of Commonwealth Games are just the most fantastic thing to have, you know, for our little nation and multi-sport events. So, and that's why I still remember them so clearly now. Is that the only Commonwealth you went to, racing No, wise? no, I rode in 1986 as okay. well in Edinburgh. Okay. A, d a different experience altogether. Because? <laughs> Lashing and rain. Okay. Yeah, right. Scotland's a lot colder. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a lot wetter, yeah. and you couldn't even get and do any training events on that track. So, but it was it was still a great a great games. We had, you know we, we've always had a good laugh. Where we've gone anywhere, we've we've we trained hard, raced hard. But 
There were other cyclists there at that one with you. Oh, on the, the track. oh yeah, we had a full team. Yeah, Steve okay. Porter. Um, I've got, I'm trying to remember the whole team there. Steve Porter, Andy mm. Nicholson, Mike Kelly, three. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there. Richard Dickie Fletcher, me, Adrian Mooney, right. on the track. So, so just take us a step back there. So do you think you're quite driven or motivated in that sense then? Because previously you said that you didn't think yourself was kind of suited to cycling, but then you've gone off your own back in your mini, done all these races, made sure you're the one that gets the qualifying time for Criteria to then fly halfway across the world to be on the only man on the team. It's quite no. Well, I was quite, the only rider on the track. I wasn't yeah, the only man on the still, team. But still, you're, still you're, you're that single member going to, to and from the back. So it's quite. Doesn't sound too yeah. It's what I mean when when you talk about you racing in your early days always with with friend there and it seems you must have some desire or confidence of built in yourself to be yeah. well actually I'm, I'm, i can I'm do a, this i'm going to yeah. prove and i'm, I'm very driven yeah. I, i'm a very driven person i like uh i've got ambition in life full stop so uh whatever i do i i i, I drive hard i work hard to do it you know um i was lazy in school but i'm not, yeah, lazy. I'm not, I'm not lazy, lazy in life. life i've got a really strong work ethic in life so Install uh, from your parents again. Well, yeah, it probably is. Yeah, and as I look back, I probably got the drive and uh, uh, acumen for for various things from my mother. Got the sporting, good, fun banter type of thing from my father, and it's a it's, it's quite a nice combination to have, really. Well, you mentioned there about your mum, dad would come home, your mum go out working at night. I mean, yeah, yeah. setting an example, isn't it? Yeah, 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 so yeah. Whether it's conscious or not. Mm, yeah. So, so into sort of the Edinburgh. Uh, Ed Edinburgh is 86 yeah and, uh, between those two games was that Racing UK yeah Racing, U and yeah, Racing UK Ireland um, that sort of stuff really um, rode the Rass in 85 That's uh, a big Irish I think event. 84 85 I, I was probably going my best really yeah. I was 21 22 um, life did change a little bit after the games because I'll clearly remember this I hope my daughter <laughs> doesn't kill me but she's fine um, I'd been away riding the RAS with an Isle of Man team. Um, you know, it, it was a, it's a great event. It's probably the hardest thing you could ever do as, a, as an amateur in, in the Isle of Man. And it didn't really suit me because I was a sprinter, not the RAS is so hard. You know, it's eight. Well, eight we eight. talked to Roach a few episodes ago. Yeah, that's the thing he, he won. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll never forget that, that, that day of, of Roach winning that uh, Raymond the RAS. <coughs> so. We got off the plane and I met my girlfriend Tina and she uh, she needed something to tell me and and so we were going to have a child so <laughs> uh, life took a bit of a, a bit oh, a bit okay. of a change obviously no plan just no yeah we didn't have a plan there was no I don't think we had yeah. many plans in them days so <laughs> we made a decision that I would still race the following year and ride in the Edinburgh Games because I'd been selected for the Commonwealth Games the following year and then I'd stop racing so. So I did. So obviously, it was taking up a lot of time to, to even have those discussions. It, it wasn't like a yeah. yeah, and it was the money as well. You know, to race at a good level, mm. as you'll know, you'll know, you have to race away. You can't just race on the Isle of Man. You've got to, yeah. you've got to race away. And uh, because the Isle of Man, I was I, I, I described this to various people. Racing, being a cyclist on the Isle of Man is like putting a plant in a pot. It will only grow as big as that pot will let it grow. As soon as you plant it in the real earth, it will grow as big as it's capable of growing. And it's the same with a cyclist. If, you, if you're broadening your horizons and racing in the UK and racing nationally and, and beyond, you will become as good with the support and uh, structure mm. that you put into it. Mm. You'll become as good as you could possibly be. So it doesn't mean you'll be the best in the world because everybody's progression curve levels at some stage, doesn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
but that's what life was like for me, I suppose. So I stopped racing when I was 23, 24, didn't really involve myself in the sport much after that. Uh, bought a house, uh, I changed my career. So I think with a lot- What with, was the career change? Uh, well, I went into the fire service. So I managed to get into the fire service when I was 25. And it, that gave me a buzz in a different way. I can 100% see why professional cyclists and good amateur cyclists or whatever go off the rails when they when they stop racing because that adrenaline rush, that banter, that crack structure and, and, well. structure and yeah. everything that you have as a racing cyclist uh, to a good level or even not to a great level, it, it gives you a purpose, doesn't yeah. it? Um, and when that's gone from your life and all of a sudden your, your, um, your infrastructure of friends, uh, all that sort of thing, falls by the wayside you can be left a bit lonely i think yeah no we've talked to a few people that have had that experience and they've absorbed so much in that sport that yeah when they get a long-term injury and suddenly they're not in that that yeah. group suddenly they're alone the purpose yeah. is gone and therefore yes. the drive's gone the just, identity was yeah the identity yeah the identity yeah. gets lost yeah yeah so was do you think looking back the spy service helped you massively helped me yeah because all of a sudden i was back in a in a, in a, a profession that was full of banter uh, it was full of sporty people you know, I could start riding a bike again a little bit. Um, you know, uh, mm. it, it, yeah, that definitely helped me. Yeah, definitely right, helped yeah. me. And how long were you in the fire service? Uh, just short thirty years. Right, okay. And through that 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 years, you obviously moved on through the through the ranks within the fire service. I didn't go that far. Right. <laughs> I went a couple, but it, right. I was, yeah, again, I was having too. I suppose in the early part of my career, I, I was seventeen years a firefighter, so. But I was on a watch. I'm very practical, so um, I'm a practical, but I'm a, I've got a lot of common sense. So being a firefighter suited me. I sitting behind an office desk would have drove me insane. That, that's not what I joined the fire service for. So um, I was on good watches, plenty of practical um, experience. You know, I was confident. I was good at my job. And then I started to ride a bike a bit again. And and in the end, I can remember at one stage I had that many firemen riding bikes that we had our own ten league. Oh, right, okay. Within the 10 league. Okay. But we ran it. Typical, like I said before, there's always, I can always find a way of doing things differently. So we, everybody had a, a benchmark time. So say so for 10 say miles. A P, like a PB or, yeah. or whatever. Uh, whoever got nearest that PB got the maximum points on the day. So, so it's like fantasy league, basically. Like a fantasy running. league, yeah. But yeah. you might be the slowest out of everybody and do a 30-minute, 10-mile time trial, but you could get the maximum points because you, you've actually got your PB. Mm. It seemed a fair way of doing it. Instead of giving all the glory to the good guys, mm. everybody got a little bit of it. And I had some old fight, cycling trophies from years gone by. I put new plates on them. <laughs> and we did our own presentation in the mitre. Your dad, was Jeff, was part of it all. Mm. And um, Yeah, no, I think we had 12 at one stage, 12 <laughs> Yeah, well, to give out the mitre, but we had such a laugh doing it. It was great. I remember those. Well, going to the mitre after the tens, and yeah. was, uh, it was, I remember there being a lot of firemen. I think like people like spring to mind. I don't know a lot, but like Kevin Groom would be another example. Yeah, Kevin Groom, there. Keith Lunt, yeah. you know all the, all these guys. Mark Cayley. Yeah, there was mm. there was loads of us. Yeah, Cayley. Yeah. So then, uh, so those. This is I suppose early nineties. Just doing it for fun, starting to bring up your family in the fire yeah. service. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what then got you involved to start? Again, I, suppose, I say putting back to the sport, not that you were taken away, but you know what I mean, that, that support and I, helping people. Yeah. That was I, my first interaction with you from one racing and then starting to take people like me, no yeah. good, just away your time and money to take us away yeah. racing. What, what drove you to do well, that? Well, I've always been in love with the sport. You know, it's been, uh, I, I, even though I wasn't riding a bike in the early days, I, I wasn't long out of it. Probably at 92, I was riding my bike again and even racing locally and uh, 
cycle week was still a part, big part of life, wasn't it? So I was still, yeah. I was back racing in '93. Um, I lived on St Ninian's Road in this at this time. I bought the house with uh, the girlfriend at the time, and Kirsty, and we were living in St Ninian's Road. And um, behind me, John Purvis and Marie Purvis lived. And Marie previously was a great runner. She was Marie Noon in, in her in real life, and. And she was a great cyclist, and John was a big support to her, I suppose. And uh, for whatever reason, without going into the ins and outs of it, they separated. So, Marie, uh, I said to Marie, "Listen, you'll hope I'll look. We'll look after your bikes, and we'll we'll make sure everything's sorted." And then, by '94, I had a bee in my bonnet about opening a bike shop. I won't I won't go into why, but. Uh, um, I didn't have any money, by the way, and so <laughs> I just had a dream, you know. So, uh, but I was still in the fire service, um, but still working hard at, at different bits and pieces. And then, for the Commonwealth Games in 1994, which I'm pretty sure were in Canada, um, there was a, a falling out at management level and rider level um, with uh, various characters or, or personnel involved in them days, and and it all got very messy. I think when it got home. Um, and the outfall of that was that there was uh, nobody left uh, as um, to manage the Ironman team, etc. And I got approached about it, so I gave it a bit of thought and then said yes. So in 1995, I became what it, the role now is head of performance. But so yeah, I got involved with that. I'd already been on the cycling association from the age of 20, I think, right. from, um, when I was in the in the earlier life. You always had strong views. Yeah, yeah which is probably why I divide people or, or, yeah. or some people don't like me, whatever. But the world's full of characters, isn't it? And I always, I've always thought that I, I, make, I make decisions um, for the better of, of, of the sport. I've yeah. never had any vested interest. It's not as if I've got children that race or anything like that. And that's what happens in sport a lot of the time. People come in very vocal parents, but as soon as their kid packs in, they vanish. I've never been like that. So I've always picked teams and been involved and tried to change things for the good of the sport. I think... Uh we all, I suppose, you know, look back in hindsight at, at things. Do you think looking back sometimes when you've got this strong view and vision that there was, you know, in hindsight, maybe I should have been more flexible or comfortable with this is, you know, this is what I believed in. So, yeah, so maybe. Or may, yeah, I mean, I think the older you get, you do reflect a lot on things um, without a doubt. Um, but ultimately, somebody has to make a decision, mm, don't yeah. they? So, um, no, you're never going to please everyone. No, no, and, and and it got to the stage I think when I when I took on the job and and was going to cycling association and they they said well they want to see six qualifying events to pick an Ireland team for for uh, for an Ireland Games or something like that and the team would go away and my first my first observation was they're all racing against each other yet to become the first Manxman to get into the team and that's the most ridiculous scenario I've ever seen. You don't, you don't see a football team all charge up the pitch to score the goal, do you? You need a team. Yeah. And uh, so I said, you know, if you want me to do this job, I'll be making the decisions on who's picked. Uh, I'll, I'll be able to justify it. And I'll, I'll be the one at all the races. So yeah, yeah. that was one of the things I said is I'll, 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 we'll put some structure in place and we'll get to all these events and, and, and do it that way. And we changed things as we went. Much resistance? Um, not at the time, to be fair. Um, one thing around the 1993-94 time that became quite evident is that we didn't have any junior riders uh, <coughs> any, any, well <laughs> well anybody uh, there was at one stage I think Rochi was 18 or 19 
and, and there was Colin Shovel, and there was you, maybe a few people. Probably, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was nobody in their twenties, and then there was maybe Dicky and a few people in there, or, or, or maybe some people in their thirties, possibly. I can't remember. Yeah, you'd uh, be about right. Yeah. And I thought, where's this sport going here? The only people we're we're bringing into the sport are are kids of mm. of cyclists that are there now. So we must change things. We we must organise something. So um, John Purvis was living behind me at the time. He was on the cycling association. So was I, Alec Forrest, who was a, mm. a, a, the most fantastic guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we put a proposal as a, as the Manx Bike and Wheels to the CA. Just we wanted to start kids racing at the bowl again on a on a Tuesday night, and it was met with quite a bit of resistance. We wanted the CA to promote it, but they, at the time, the, maybe the other clubs didn't have the. So yeah, again for the for, for listeners not familiar, suppose with cycling setup, you've got various clubs on the Alaman and ultimately they feed yeah. into an association so everyone has a yeah. each of the clubs yeah. represent are represented on the CA. Yeah, so really cool, the yeah. CA should be coordinated as in it's about promotion of the, <coughs> the sport. Yeah, well it should uh, be, but yeah. I suppose each club has a different strength, yeah. don't they? And if, mm. if a club is weak on members or certain clubs maybe cater for the older people, uh, you know, mm. they're more experienced let's let's say yep. people not yep. not too old i'm one of them generation <laughs> now but and yeah other clubs might be really thin on the ground with with various things or so, or whatever, so, so, so we took it on board and, and what sorry why did it stop then because you said picking up again was there a reason well I, I don't know if i'm hmm. honest but when i started cycling it was saturday morning down at the sport down hmm. at the bowl whether hmm. it was actually something to do with the construction of the sports center i don't know hmm. Because that took a long time to do, didn't it? Building the actual sports mm. centre, and maybe it all dried up then. I, I don't really don't know why it stopped, mm. but I know starting it, we managed to contact British Cycling and do this, like a, what the, was it? I can't remember what British Cycling promoted, but it was to get kids into sport. And I used to go down on a Tuesday night. I did talks around all the schools in in assembly, and I was I don't know why I did that. I was not experienced in doing that, but I can remember just saying, "We're setting up this thing at the sports centre. You must come down." And there was an obstacle course. Yeah, I went over a seesaw. You had to pick a bottle up. Yeah, remember that. Do you remember, I remember them? Yeah. So we, we started it in that way, and then in and it, it ran like that for maybe a, a, a whole a whole winter, and then the fantastic woman that is Dot Tilby got involved, and and Dot um, and Nat and her merry band of people um, stayed involved, or, or just took it to a whole new level, mm. didn't they? Mm. Um, a whole new level, which uh, is is the biggest cycling league for. For, for youth riders in, in Europe, I'm convinced of it. it must yeah, be. Certainly, UK, uh, I'm sure, a wider yeah. field. So then, uh, you get involved with the sport look, while looking at grassroots there, the experienced riders and taking them away. So, is, was that again as head of performance? Then was that you'd have you'd need a plan for the year? You'd have a budget if that such yeah. a thing existed back then. Well, yeah, then it, was, it was limited. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, you're right, and uh, I suppose going through uh, in 1998, we went to the Commonwealth. That's the first time I'd attended the Commonwealth Games as a manager, which was in Kuala Lumpur in uh, in Malaysia, and the team was three riders: Andrew Roach, Rob Holden, and Mark Kelly on the track, and that was the size of our. That's the only people we had that really were of the standard to to compete in the Commonwealth Games. So, um, what was that experience like? Well, I I really enjoyed it, if I'm honest. Um, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, I was new. I was in at the deep end a little bit, but luckily enough, it's a very small team. And I befriended some great people around that time. Shane Sutton from uh, was managing Wales in these days. Um, he became quite a <laughs> quite a well known figure for all sorts of reasons. But he's a dear friend of mine, and I, uh, you know, I wouldn't hear a bad word said against him, no matter what. But 
Um, yeah, no, Shane. I lent on Shane an awful lot in them days. I learned a lot off him and his and his team set up. And we um, always want for looking around and yeah, learning yeah, off yeah, other yeah, people. Yeah, because I didn't. I always saw in my head. I was, maybe I was I was punching above my weight a little bit. I wasn't a great. I didn't in my own head. I wasn't a great cyclist like to Shane Sutton or Doyle or Jockey or anything like that. So I had to try and learn off other people, mm-hmm. um, which I did. Um, and 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 what was nice is they lent on you a little bit if if for whatever reason I had something I could offer them and then and, and that worked well. And how did you find managing that team there in that in those games then? I loved it. Yeah, uh, it, I, what I learned a little bit about about the sport then, and I've carried it through my personal life is you've got to get to know them individuals as people, because different things make different people tick. And I can remember when I competed. Um, somebody coming up to me before the start of the Commonwealth Games in Edinburgh, putting a towel on me over my head and telling me to start thinking about the events. The worst thing could ever happen to me. I don't want to start thinking about anything. I'd rather mess around until the start line and go because it would just do my head in. So Rob Holden was a shining example, an unbelievably talented bike rider, uh, a great climber, uh, just a a fantastic rider who'd moved to the island in the late 90s uh, when he married Rachel. But, a, but a, an ex-professional um, uh, milk race, king of the mountains rider, riding people like Robert Miller off his wheel in them days, and yet had such little confidence in himself. It was unbelievable. I, and I'd never experienced anything like this, really. I, I was more than confident with, with no ability. Yeah. So uh, he was the opposite. Um, to the extent I can remember him knocking on my door the night before the road race saying he couldn't ride. Yeah. there's too much pressure and there's a lot of pressure when you ride for the Isle of Man believe it or not way more than there is rider for England because the whole nation comes to watch so every other sport comes to watch the cycling event whereas if you're rider for England it's only it's only cyclists nobody else wants you know the netball or the or the you know the football or whatever nobody them are coming to watch you so I learned a lot at that games you know Andrew Roach was at his probably at his best uh, in 98 Mm -hmm. um and, and had a chance of meddling, we thought. So did Rob. Um, Rochi crashed in the time trial, which was so unfortunate. It was so hot on the day. There was a big descent and a left-hander and, and Rochi's uh, tub rolled and he, and he was off into the rails. So Stuart O'Grady was the same, rider for Australia. So, um, but I learned an awful lot at them mm. games that I, I think I carried through, really. Yeah, interesting. Uh, I suppose you, maybe again, you look up at characters like Rob or not characters, but people like that. And then when you get to know them, you kind of, I suppose from a distance, you expect look at a super talented rider, probably look yeah. super confident on the bike. And when you kind of get under the bonnet, you kind of see. Yeah, it. yeah. And Rob's, me and Rob have been really close all our lives, really. Even though we see a lot of each other now. But but the, the day after he'd knocked on that bedroom door, he only went up the road to finish sixth in the road race. You know, there's break of five, he'd gone early doors and, we'd, and we had, didn't have anyone here. But Rob snuck away. In fact, he wasn't sixth. He was. He snuck away. Got caught two hundred meters before the line. Mm-hmm. I finished eleventh, I think. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah. but Rob always had this unbelievable ability, but um, lack yeah. of belief, I think. And uh, you at this stage, well, two things. One to go right back because we have to talk about it because if anyone who knows you, the story always comes up <laughs> from, from cycle. Well, I which one? From cycle week. So cycle week's the the week long event that certainly used to be professionals will come over countries. You know, will come over, bring teams over. So it was a back in the back in the day. Certainly, cycle week was massive, uh, and then there was a number of races that went on throughout the week. And one of them was the Kerwin Clegg, who I presume was an old. I don't know what's Kerwin's background. Kerwin Clegg um, was the original organizer of cycle week. Okay. Uh, way back in nineteen thirty something mm-hmm. or other, 
six maybe I'm not sure mm. and he ran cycle week all where he he was that guy is a hero he brought over people like Eddie Merckx and Pausto Coppi all these great oh, all these great names going all the way back he brought them all to the island the Isle of Man International Cycle Week was the biggest week of cycling in certainly amateur wise in all of well it, it was biggest in the UK until it folded in yeah. 2003 everybody looked forward to it you'll still hear people now talk about it and how it was uh, why can't we well, we're just back. about to so, <laughs> so, yeah. so one of the races yeah, but that's who Kerwin Clegg was and yeah. then Michael Hare took over for 15 years and, and he took it to another level and Michael Hare is, 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 a, is a, such a dear friend of mine yeah. um, being instrumental in my oh, my life really right in what ways um, people always ask me why I was such a big friend of Mike's in, when I was 19 um, picked to go to the Commonwealth Games when they were earning money and we were apprentice, apprentice plumber so was Steve Porter and he was in the same boat as me we had no money, we had second-hand bikes, and we had, um, uh, you know, uh, not a lot to go with, really, and he was the same age. And I can remember Mike O'Hare um, saying, what were they doing one night? Uh, he wanted to see us come down to the house just before we went. So we went, me and Steve went down, and Mike O'Hare uh, was there with Brian Nelson, his best friend, who was the main sponsor of the Manx Road Club for years, who, who passed away a little while ago. And they presented us with a pair of wheels each, Hand-built wheels, must have cost them £200 each in them days for these wheels for pair. And I thought it was the nicest thing I'd ever seen. So, um, yeah. Just built our relationship from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've, I've never forgot it. Right, never forgot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so small things back in, again, back, just those small helping things along that path that yeah, yeah, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, to remember. So anyway, more importantly, the story. <laughs> My skirt around this yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the Kerwin Clegg was a race part cycle week. I think if I recall, it was on the Wednesday. Yeah, it used to be round the well, it's round the su Southern Hundred motorbike course, but the other way, if I recall, it was handicaps. That means the start group depending on what ability you were really, and obviously the pros were were off on at the back, and yeah, handicapped over ten laps or whatever it was. It was uh, an event you you know it was one of the main they call the blue riband in the TT, but it was one of the main yeah. well. Outside was probably the Friday racing, which was the TT course. It was probably the, I'd get my experience was it was probably the next biggest one of those. Well, it, it, originally it used to be on fifteen laps of the Williston course, believe it or not, okay. and it was called the Manx Arms Handicap. And then, but they changed it because th there was two big handicap races on the Williston circuit, and they, they wanted to move it down south, mainly because the officials all had to be in Castletown by eight seven o'clock at it's night for the, the Castletown Commerce. So. They moved it to the Southern 100, and in the early years, it was the same way as the Southern 100. So it went round the same way the Southern 100 goes round. Uh, it was 15 laps, handicapped. Um, so, you know, the third cat, juniors, third cats, everything went off. I think at the time, I'd been a second cat rider, I was. Um, but it all came together um, on with about two and a half laps to go, I'd say, the French and everybody were there, the British pros were there. Now, I knew I was fast, because the year before, was the first year it had been held on that circuit and I finished fourth. Um, I just got, I, was, I had a, a friend who was leading me out but he died of death 500 metres <laughs> from the line, left me in the middle of nowhere. So and I got pipped on the line, uh, but I still finished fourth. So I knew what to do the following year and my good friend Dennis Lightfoot, who now lives in Australia, he was a, a, um, a pro, he might have been riding for the Manchester Wheelers in these days, but I remember we came out of the last corner and there was a couple of guys had kicked and there was a gap open, but then they hesitated because it was still 500 metres to the line. And Dennis died to the left, and I died to the right. And every as we were moving forward, everybody came back. So I, mm. I, I knew I'd had the better of Dennis. And right. I, I walloped him a few times in the past. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, 
it wasn't quite a walloping, believe it's <laughs> half a wheel, but uh, yeah, so yeah, so I was made up because I was in, I was at my depth really, as in compared with pros and first cat riders, and, mm. but I, I knew I was fast enough, so. Yeah, anyone who knows Gary, that's it. And it's a great story, it's obviously a great <laughs> race to win as well, that's uh, it's a story that's... It's a I'm sure I'll tell it length, a long yeah, version of it yeah, sometime. Yeah, yeah, no, it's good, yeah, it's yeah. good one. So, yeah, sorry, to go, to go back to more, uh, or back to sort of 98, 99, and uh, again, helping the Manx team again, you, I guess you're starting to see cycling move on from, because that grassroots is starting to come up from the, from the, yeah, the quality is starting yeah. to, there's more depth. Cycling in general was moving on. Uh, Chris Boardman winning the Olympic gold, I yeah. think, in 96. How was it that way? Well, it might have been 92. Yeah. But cycling was moving stop, forward. Yeah. The velodrome was being built in Manchester, and that was changing. And, cy- and then people, what was his name? Aquila Riders won the first. Queely. Yeah, Jason Queely mm. in Sydney uh, won the first. Yeah, that was 96, I think. I think it was 2000. Oh, was it? Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, <laughs> so you can see how now, now yeah. getting towards modern day life, if mem- memories yeah, go. No, it was better than mine, yeah. <laughs> or even though I'm here later. <laughs> um, yeah, so things were still changing money was coming into the sport um, I think Sport England had already had this all, always had the vision that uh, the amount of funding given to sports was dependent on world medals and Olympic medals and there's so many medals to be won on the track and two to be won on the road so hmm. so they, they concentrated on the velodrome and more money came into the sport more structure came in and the more money that comes in the more officials you've got the more structure you've got and it just it's a self-perpetuating um, situation so um, I can remember e- having a conversation when we started talking about Commonwealth Games uh, 2002 I think we were in Manchester and people were saying well why are we spending so much money going to the Commonwealth Games against these big nations and we had to make a decision we either hang on to the shirt tails of these big nations or we uh, or we just knock it on the head and I was always one for saying we can we can we can do this as a, as a, as a small nation but we have to change how we do things. Right. Um, and what kind of changes you look at thinking well, we need, we or need, thinking? We, well, when it got to around 2006, we'd, uh, we had the, all of a sudden we had these great juniors coming through. Brit, Brit, British Cycling had set up the academy, and the first people on that academy were, were um, uh, Mark Cavendish and, and Christian. Christian Varley. So uh, fantastic. You know, here we are with, a, with a, an academy of six or eight riders, and two of them are from the Isle of Man. So he was the he was the benefits of, of the National Sports Centre coming through, um, the first people to to shine. It's, a, it's amazing when you look at the timeline. It does seem like a long, not a long time, but if you sat in a room and saying like we've got a six year project and that to get a couple of people on in six years, it's so far down the road. A lot of people don't have that vision no. and won't won't commit to that. So uh, I suppose to see that start to flourish must be very rewarding for, for yourself, for, for well, John Burns, yeah. but then Dot, all that, that work from those early but days. This take, by this stage, my life had been taken over. I was still in the fire service, and I'm still, so by this stage, we'd opened up a bike shop. So we'd, um, time was quite minimal, but I, it, 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 it drove me no end. You know, it, it completely encapsulated my life, really. I was every night working on this, trying to make see how we could do things and the, the next Commonwealth Games were well 2003 was at the Ireland Games in Guernsey that I know we touched on earlier on mm-hmm. and by that stage we had these new junior riders starting to come through so I thought right well we're going to pick a team here and I've been going away an awful lot by this stage every every two or three weeks we were taking teams away 
and we had these great junior riders. So I wanted to adopt a, I wanted to adopt a junior policy into into selection of teams. To, so at least a minimum one junior would be in our senior team for the Island Games, if not two, a maximum of two, because otherwise the balance would be tipped towards inexperience and youth, and you'd got to have a massive level of experience. So we picked our team. Uh, I I had a lot of <laughs> flack, <laughs> for want of a better term, yeah, heated debate. What our team consisted of. Um, Andy Roach, who had never lost a time trial, I mean, I heard in the podcast last week, he, he'd never lost a time trial. He's, he's that guy's been inspirational on the Isle of Man for mm-hmm. all his all his mm-hmm. all his life. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Elliot Baxter, who was on top of his game, mountain biking, but on the road as well. He's always been a, a phenomenal bike rider, mm-hmm. full stop. Graham Hatcher, who was a, um, a an unbelievable team worker, really. And Graham I always picked Graham for things because of his his work ethic towards the team. An unsung hero, really, in his heyday, and then Cav and Christian. So, I mean, I got some flack for that, as you can imagine. Cav was quite. Well, it's funny you say, <laughs> as you'd imagine. You, yeah. it's easy to say. You remember Cav at sixteen? Well, yeah, maybe yeah. Fifty. But well, yeah, he was still quick though. You know, he was oh, still yeah, a, was quick, he yeah. could time trial, and uh, even back then, uh, you know, he well, he still was maybe maybe just lost a couple of time trial records. So there was talent there, albeit yeah. there was a, yeah. the outside perception of what. He just talked about there's himself. There's a funny little story here, which he'll kill me for, but he, he will and he won't. Yeah. Uh, I always used to go to the games early. I'd drive there generally with a big van full of 30-odd bikes and get there a day or two early, put them all together, secure some form of, uh, of uh, store so we, everybody, when they, when they rolled in, were ready to go out for a ride that day. And I was on, of course, Cavs stuff hadn't turned up, but by the given time he was supposed to be there, I was working a night shift, I think, at the fire station, and then I was going to get on the boat and drive to Guernsey, basically. Um, so I had to ring him midnight, no sign of the bikes. Uh, oh, oh, burgers, I'm so sorry, I forgot they're in the back of my mum's car. Anyway, they turned up at like six in the morning so I could get to the boat. And uh, I drove down to Guernsey, I was putting them all together, and I looked at this stuff that Cab had put in the van. He had a time trial bike, and I thought, what on earth have you put in here? So, yeah, but you bear in mind he was 16, so, and quite vocal Cav all his life, hasn't he? Mm. In a lovely way. Yeah, we all, yeah, we all know him yeah, and we yeah, love yeah. him, don't we? Um, so, we had a 10 speed Campagnolo uh, uh, time trial bike, but he had a six speed disc wheel to go on the back. Yeah, so that's, yeah, a different so, number of so, gears to so the equipment, yeah, basically. So, for the, for the non cyclists out there, this is never going to work in a month yeah. of Sundays. The chain will run on one, but one click of it, it's. it's mile out so i had to ring him up so you've got you've made a mistake here no 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 burgers he said it's uh it'll, it'll be, it's fine it works on three gears <laughs> but it looks good doesn't it i bought it off, no. i bought it off brian tate <laughs> <laughs> so, so i put this thing together and oh well he finished third in the time trial yeah. <laughs> roach yeah. had won it and yeah. then one of the top guernsey guys was second and, and i think cab was third yeah. so and he was 16 you yeah. know and uh, and then came the come the road race he wanted to uh he, I, I, what am I doing in the road race? Uh, and I said, well, you, you, you're here to ride for Rochi. That's your job, is to sit with Rochi. If he needs to go across a move, if he punctures, you need to get him back on you, not to move from his side. And we had to start firing. We had, we had a, pl- a game plan anyway, which worked a treat. So we won. I think we were first, second, and fourth in the road race. Wow. Against some good riders, you know, there were some GB riders riding for other, other nations. Um, Cav crashed, uh, broke his rear mech. Um, uh, nobody rode Campag in Guernsey, so had to get one shipped in overnight. Uh, but because I was involved with the bike shops, then I, I've got contact, so I got mech shipped in and got his bike sorted out. 
and his day was the criterion on the last day. So I said, everybody's here for you now, Cav, the pressure's on you, you can do this. We'll pop somebody in that moves early on in the race, and then with a lap to go. Was I, he happy to take that lead role? Yeah, that oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Rochi will be, yeah, Roach, you'll be pulling up beside you with a lap and a half to go, something like that, and tap you on the backside, and you're, st- you're to follow him and not move off him. And he nearly lost it, to be fair. Um, what's his name from, Ju- from yeah, Jersey? Yeah, the guy, yeah. Was um, Spence? It wasn't Spence. No, was it wasn't Spence. It was his big mate. I can't remember his name now. Yeah, but yeah. He, he had his hands in the air, thought he'd won it, but everybody underestimated how, Cav can, how fast Cav can be over 30 metres. So he just squeezed under his arm, yeah. won it. And uh, There's a great picture somewhere, isn't there, of him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on, it's, on the, it's on the Jersey wall. <laughs> Even though we were disappointed oh, right. at the time, he's the proudest man in the world to be picked by, uh, <laughs> picked by an inch from a dirty stage winner yeah, of the Tour de France, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was... Uh, what was Cav's character like back then? Boisterous, I'd say. Uh, mischievous. Um, confident. Um, super confident. He was mm-hmm. so fast. Mm-hmm. I used to think I was a fast bike rider when I was younger, you see. And I, this was my, I was going to the games, and what we'd always do is find a decent coffee shop somewhere, ride there, try and turn it into a Manx coffee shop, give him a tracksuit and a flag and all this, and pin it up outside, you know. None of us really liked wearing our tracksuits at the best of times. <laughs> Don't tell the organisation. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so, we, and then on the way back, we'd say, right, we'll, just, we'll go for the sign down here, and I'd take off the gun, and Cav would just sail past it, right. gone. And I thought, Jesus, he's fast, isn't he? Unbelievable, I've never seen anything like it in my life. And, but who would have thought he'd carry on going faster and faster and faster and faster mm-hmm. all his life mm-hmm. to be who what is effectively the fastest road sprinter I think the world's ever seen. Mm-hmm. If I'm honest, in his day, I don't think anyone's ever been faster. No, and kind of just they changed the sport in so yeah, many yeah, ways, yeah. didn't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, we're in that, I guess he's in that stage in his career where I'm sure it frustrates him where people talk about, and they probably have for years now, the end of the career and things like that. And there just seems to be this, I don't know whether it's sports in general when someone's getting towards the end of a career because we all you know we all do in some format but it just seems like it's it's all negative and i think only once his career ends there'll be a not a real i think a lot of people obviously do appreciate but there'll be a real appreciation for what he's yeah. you know, what yeah. he's achieved i'm sure what he still can achieve i'm sure yeah and i yeah we we all have our we, who knows who's right or wrong you look at i look at cav now and i think you know you can see he's got the heart of a lion there mm. he still wants to win he still wants mm. to race he mm. can't it's been his life and it's his dream and he lives for riding his bike doesn't he mm. and uh he's, his body isn't letting him do it um and he's had a he's had his fair share of ailments and crashes and so on and so forth but ages you know he's 35 now and um you know you're not as fast at 35 mm. as you were but his, his brain hasn't has got any slower. So I, I I'd love to have a conversation with him about what what he sees over the next. You know, if he if he wants to race and he can race, because the talent is. I remember seeing. I was watching a Perry Bay a few years ago, and then the one Sagan won another. You know, mm-hmm. world famous, and he was up that front end of that, and I think there was a crash, a couple of wheels in front of him, and of course in the Perry Bay, which is over cobbles. Once there's a split, there's no chance. But you know, that's one of the hardest bike races around, and yeah. what many people will consider not Cab's forte. Although I, th- I think a lot of people, with bystanders of cycling, maybe don't appreciate the other skills outside of just sprinting that he has. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be great to see the last couple of years of his career, because inevitably it will come to an end. Him maybe looking at those opportunities and mm-hmm. people, f- yeah, not not seeing him just as a sprinter, which sadly, sadly, some do. Because there's so much more to it than that. Oh, absolutely, is yeah, and he's a leader of men, isn't he? Yeah, you yeah. know, I remember we went to uh, th- we took it when we were in the Commonwealth Games in Delhi, and Cav turned up just took over really because right. he gave he gave um 
it gave belief to the team. You know, we, we might all be here, we might be electricians and so on and so forth riding in the team, but we all had to do a job. And um, yeah, so talk us a bit about, about Delhi then. So that was 06. It was no, Delhi was uh, uh, Delhi was 2010. <laughs> okay. Uh, Melbourne was 2006, which was um, was unbelievable. I mean, that that for me was a, was one of my best games. Uh, my good friend Mike Doyle came along. Doyle, by his own admission, has had a, he's had a few troubles in his life, and he's but you know he's beaten his demons, and uh, I'm, I'm so proud to see it as well because there's not many people can have as many demons as Doyle has had. But uh, but I always was a firm believer with Doyle that, s- that cycling needed him, and he needed cycling. Well, we all do. It's our sanctuary, isn't it? Mm. At times, but and um, yeah, we, we he came as our uh, coach to to Melbourne, and, but but you had to have a plan in Melbourne because we had this super fast young kid in Mark Cavendish. But there's a lot of other nations had some f- unbelievably fast riders. Um, so cycling can be a little bit like this. It's very tactical, but you have to pull favors sometimes. Um, and I've made a big friend in Shane Sutton over the years, and and Shane was by this stage. Um, the elite performance coach for for England at the Commonwealth Games, um, and we knew we had the fastest guy in the race, but we had to be in the right place at the right time with with Cav, and we needed. Uh, Australia had this rider called Kim Kirchin, who was the world kilo champion. So you can imagine how fast he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he's under you know, he's under a minute for a, for a kilo. So beat your one eleven. Well, yeah. <laughs> just by a lap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um, we needed. You know, we needed Cav in the break, but we didn't want Kim Kirchner with him. So it had to be, sh- we had to try and work out how we we're going to do this. And 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 luckily enough, I think a move, a, a break had gone early on in the scratch race on the track, and Kim Kirchner was in it. From I think his name was Kim Kirchner. I can't might not yeah, might um, he was in the move. So the last thing we needed was that to go away. But fantastically, you know, Cav had a lot of friends in Giran Thomas riding for Wales and, and and a lot of other riders. So that as that move got brought back with the help of a few other nations, then Cav attacked and the other Australian went with him straight away because he was the Cav was the man to watch. So the other Australian, followed by a Scottish rider, a Malaysian, a, a Kiwi, a, so on and so forth, went with went, went with him. Um, of course, Australia aren't going to chase it because they've got a rider in the move. Neither are New Zealand, neither are our friends, England and Wales, hopefully. So it, it worked. The whole thing worked. and, and uh, They gained a lap. Yeah, they gained yeah. a lap, and so, then so magically okay. Rob Hales from England uh, hit the front. Yeah, he was so already lapped down; it made no difference. So and when you gain a lap, uh, you get a load of. Uh, no, you don't get points. Oh, it's you not just points. A lap just, ahead. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you just yeah. a lap ahead in the scratch yeah. race. So um, the rate, the sprint was always going to be down to these five riders. Um, uh, Rob Hales hit the front, and and I think Cav was on his wheel, followed by the Australian, followed by somebody else. But Cav was so full of confidence; it was uh, it was just incredible, and one of the most emotional sort I of bet. days mm. of my life. I think. Yeah, I bet. I bet. And how did the other guy? I presume there was other Manxies in that race. Yeah, yeah. Um, Mark Kelly uh, yeah. was riding for us at the time. Um, Mark rode well. He he finished. Uh, uh, he finished top ten, yeah. which was a was a good ride, yeah. a really good yeah. ride. He rode really well in the points race as well. Um, um, I think he finished fifth in the points race, but he was up there or thereabouts at one stage. Yeah. No, a good rider. He rode it his way, and uh, yeah, yeah. He, he, you know. He put a lot into that, so yeah. And then young Johnny Bellis, who was seventeen, um, came as a rank sort of junior. Really, what was he like for talent? You spoke to Johnny at well, early was, stages yeah, of yeah, Johnny, a year ago. Johnny was a great bike rider, so it, it, you know, I'm inspired by Johnny really to see you know his life's 
turned on its head because of his awful accident. Um, uh, he had the world at his feet really riding at pro to a level. So for the non the non cyclists, that's like playing Premiership football, isn't it? And then mm. having an accident and be lucky if you can turn out Gronken. You know, it's keep lucky you can get out of bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, what happened to Johnny was just uh, I'll never forget that because we were working at the fire station at the time, and and his dad. We've heard Johnny had an accident. His dad had flown straight to me. His dad the fire. Yeah, his dad was a fireman in May. Big, big job. So, yeah, um, awful times. You know, yeah. three months in a coma, and and but he's turned his life around. He's engaged again. He's had a few other opportunities that have fell by the wayside a little bit, but he seems to be on the right path. Yeah, the resilience now. from chatting to him, the resilience of a guy who, in theory, you could apply today's rules. He was at Team Sky. He was at the biggest team in the world at that stage was with Saxo and was just about to you know start a full-fledged or you know was just into full-fledged yeah. career and it's just swiped away and a lot of people could I use the word sulk or, or you know, <coughs> drag it around as baggage that that it's a, a lost opportunity but never got that impression from him he was just like well shit happens next yeah well you have to do you well, I mean, well no you have to but a lot of people don't uh, do you think it's that sort of coming from a sporting background that you do that? Because not not all your races go to plan, do they? Not uh, sometimes you can have some horrendous setbacks in life, can't you? But you, you, yeah, but he's lucky to be know. alive. Yeah, no, yeah, it's and not I, personality and how you treat it. Because yeah. yeah, sport and setbacks happen, but you can see both sides to how some people can treat it and some people yeah. can't. Yeah. I yeah, think and I'm sure Christian would mind us talking about it when he kind of think him his opportunities that he lost. Have haunted him in many ways and, and dictated things. I think he'd openly admit. I think he really much talked about that. Where Johnny, my, my, not saying either right or wrong, but Johnny just seemed like, oh, well, it happened next. What's next? And yeah. moved on. Maybe yeah. It, oh, oh, don't forget. But maybe also, manifested in other ways yeah. for John. Yeah, yeah. And it also, but it changes Johnny's. It changed Johnny's personality mm, completely. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah, you know the the injury Johnny sustained completely changed yeah, his, yeah. his his. his it's a different situation. Really, yeah, probably close to death. So. Not being able to ride a bike is probably not that important when you could actually not have been around. Yeah. And he gave it a good shot to come back as well and got yeah. to a good level. Yeah, you know, yeah. he you know he gained a Commonwealth Games standard again and came to the games and uh, uh, just couldn't progress any further than that. Really, his body wouldn't let him do yeah. it. I know I've got his head probably to an extent. So um, you have to rethink your life and move on. Um, so before we get into Delhi, I just want to uh, I want to just again go back more self-indulgent, having raced. And being pretty poor in the early nineties, and, and and just your views on Anthony Aspel at that at that age, uh, bike wise. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I have no other no other views yeah, really. No, Anthony no, was it. a phenomenal bike yeah. rider. Uh, he had so much talent, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, his dad probably didn't help his career. Uh, it's fair to say, without going into any great. No, his dad uh, was fairly, you know, with him, but yeah, fairly pushy. Too pushy, yeah. uh, and and and. And to be fair, didn't have any great views on anything. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, he, he, he should have let Anthony progress in his career. And don't think just because you've rode a bike in your life doesn't mean you've, you've, you've got the best ideas in the mm. world. Have you should have just let him let him go down the path he was at. I mean, to win that junior tour of Ireland, they still talk about that in Ireland. Mm. And the older guys that were involved in them days when he rode the junior tour of Ireland, bear in mind his teammates were David Miller and Charlie Regalis, who were both world tour riders and, fantastic bike riders weren't they and, and Anthony was a team leader and won the whole event and, mm. and the folk in Ireland still talk about him now where's how's that little Anthony Aspel from the Isle of Man doing mm. you still see him about don't yeah, you yeah. it's uh, doing the stock it's one one of them talents that just uh, that's why I like talking about yeah him, yeah I got a lot of time for Anthony yeah, yeah. I used to train with him uh, he was a few years younger than me was you know 
And yeah. he's not interested either coming back out of the vice, but I've no. tried and tried. Yeah, so have I. So I'd have Every time I bump into him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's not having it, is he? No, but yeah, unbelievable. Again, I'm off to any cyclist I see coming through now, I always go back and, and almost use him as a benchmark of although he never made it for, for the for various reasons. Uh, that, that that was a talent that in a different environment or a different even a different time. Because yeah. he got onto I know he rode the Europeans, I think youth Europeans, so mm. pathways weren't there, but he'd kind of jump that pathway and was yeah. getting seen no, on the bigger bits. Yeah, yeah I do, I do right. it's funny when you re you reminisce back on things because even though I'm how old are you now so it's only it, it's a you know it's only a decade or, or a decade and a half between us but you, when you're younger you feel like uh, you feel like a responsible adult to, to younger people and I can remember when um, uh, Nicky Hall passed away I know but it I, I was I, I always thought I was a lot older than him but now when you know when you look back you're not are you really you know you're, you're a decade or a bit more and all, a lot at that time there was a lot of um a lot of banter but a lot of uh i don't know it was so sad with when when nicky passed away and then and then you know with with chrissy harrison and mm -hmm. colin Schimmel there's another and, talent you know, oh like, well two of them yeah but i mean i mean chris harrison you know obviously the guys that own eurocycles through the family there and chris was marks obviously still rides uh, Chris was just yeah unbelievable and the nicest guy you yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah 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 um, yeah I remember taking a team down to Essex to race down in Essex and Chrissy was with us I think he was the British student champion at the time if there was such a thing or it was yeah, yeah. Um, road race champion wasn't he you know, yeah, all, yeah, all yeah. the British um, yeah. universities type of thing yeah no that I remember hearing stories from turning up at time trials in the UK at uni he'd be sat under a tree studying and then literally jump on his bike rider time trial be up with the top guys in the uk yeah. put, his, put his bike away and start studying again and just just so talented so laid back such a nice guy i didn't know him super well he's a few years older than me but again just a super talent uh, funny how you had to do things like that he just reminded me of when i was a kid um, i had a paper round for fargas and onken and the papers were late in one sunday and i was supposed to be doing a 10 mile time trial around the clips course <laughs> in the off so I set off on my paper round, but I was running way late here, so I had to put me the Daily Mirror bag under a tree in Ballacreen, go and ride a 10 mile time trial, and then come Just back and get my paper bag and carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and they were all whinging while the papers were late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you just reminded me of that, but just yeah, hiding something under a tree. So, uh, yeah, Kapoor Colin as well, another good yeah, talented yeah, rider yeah. as well. Uh, so, 06 then, Delhi, uh, taking the island, obviously, Cavs pretty much world stage now. How, yeah, I think I mean, did you need to convince him to come? Was that something he wanted to do? No, he wanted to do it. Yeah. Cav always loves riding for the Isle of Man. He yeah. loves it. He doesn't have he, he do we would do it at the drop of a hat. Even you think about because I know he, again I think before we came on we chat about Delhi and it's the security questions. I guess generally it was you know forty degrees different, yeah. and then let, let alone the, you know the food and the yeah. the water etc. So I'd imagine just there's so many challenges in that. Let alone then you've got a, a guy on the world stage who eyeballs on everyone. Yeah, imagine that applies pressure to the team. Like you say, <coughs> the plumbers and doing their day job, and three days later they're in another country yeah, riding yeah. for one of the best sprinters in the world. It was a funny thing the games, and it, it, it to me it highlighted the real Mark Cavendish. He'd flown in from riding the World Championships, I think, in Melbourne, and had to go and pick him up at the airport on the bus. And Cav, I, I, I'm not saying I'm a, like a clinically 
diagnose him, but he's definitely a little bit ADHD and he wouldn't stop ringing the bell on the bus and the armed guard was going a bit nuts and all this sort of stuff. So anyway, we get into the village and um, I had to go to various technical meetings before the, the competition starts. And, and I befriended the, the Ugandan team manager who happened to be sat next to me and didn't understand much English. So he kept they kept leaning over and saying, what is the meaning of... Mm. of, of uh, so I, I say, well, you, you've got to go and get your bottles, your bidons from this i'll take you come with me i'll show you so the ugandan team sort of uh, befriended us a little bit <coughs> and they were they were in awe that mark cavendish this uh, global i think he, i don't think he'd won a single two by now i'm not sure but he was he was world famous so and the, the, as you can imagine these little black ugandan riders uh, they would they would all hang around the food hall in the in the entrance waiting for us to come down and we'd come down and they just, but they were all teeth and eyes. So you get, they were, they would follow Cav around wherever he had to eat. All oh, right, okay. And then you had to eat on big, uh, like like the desk here, on big banquet tables. And all you get is all of the all the Ugandans at one end, and they just be looking down the table at you like this. <laughs> He's a superstar. <laughs> to say, there's, and I thought it, it was lovely because Cav was really really patient and and courteous with them. And then at the end of the games. <coughs> I said to to Cav, what are you what are you doing with your kit? You know, you you're sponsored by every company in the world. You know, you're not going to be walking out of here in high tech trainers and a kukri top, are you? What are you going to do with it all? He said, I don't want it. I said, Well, can we give it to the Ugandan? So we got them round, and they all these Ugandan kids <laughs> were walking off in Cav stuff, little rucksacks with Mark Cavendish yeah, Island yeah. on the back, and they had it for, yeah, and it was just a beautiful thing, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. to spend time with these. Uh, uh, yeah. underprivileged for one of a better term young cyclists that, that didn't have a lot and and yeah. um, and that was given out to them and it was just and, I th and i've seen that side of him when he rode for uh quebecer you know yeah. uh, dimension data and, and how much he got out of what Keeping he back. did yeah, yeah what he yeah. gave back and going down and i remember him telling the story of rolling a rolling a ball to a kid who was just sat on his haunches at the side of the road with a stick in his hand and cab rolled the ball to him and the kid rolled it back the cab rolled it back and the kid rolled it back and the cab kicked it the kid got up and kicked it before you know it it was that um living to play you know mm. you play something you're alive aren't you, yeah, you? Yeah. and and, and Cav got a lot out of that and that's a, a side to mark cavendish that people don't know i yeah, think no, sure the for you so you talk about those early years sort of being a manager and maybe not believing in let's say your own ability or feeling you're out of your depth at this stage obviously got a reasonable amount of experience from a performance side and running a team yeah how did that did you feel like then, like you say, we bring Cav into that environment where, uh, again, you're obviously older and there's, there's a maturity side there, but was there a, you know, how did you find, not that we're saying he's, the problem with him, but just bringing this, it's a change in dynamics, I guess, because well, it's, <coughs> it it's is, not plumbers and decorators. It, it is, and, and, I, and I came back from the games with uh, quite strong views on, on that we needed to move forward. We needed to, uh, we needed it. An investment into the sport really i've always been of the opinion that we're as a sport we're, we're we are the biggest and strongest and most successful sport on the island apart from you know we include motorsport and shooting and perform really well but we we're constantly achieving a world national international level and uh how are we going to progress this now we've got the juniors we've got the schoolboy set up the dot have taken it to that fantastic level but we didn't have anything above that, really. All our riders were going off island or they were coming out of Dots League. So I put a business plan together um, and approached a few big companies 
I really didn't have any expertise in this, but I was just doing it because I was driven and I approached uh, um, micro gaming. They were new to the island at the time. E-gaming was, was big um, and but frowned upon to a lot of the um, uneducated to think that, that we were wealthy and gambling on the island mm-hmm. and so forth. So, um, and, and, but when you understand the company, they're not like that at all. So I put a business plan together and um, I went to, to have a chat to them. And my mission statement really was that I wanted to try and take a raw schoolboy um, over a three-year period to win a Commonwealth medal. That was my plan in 2007. So <coughs> I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I, I had to have some form of a statement and I had to, I had to have a budget. I wanted to bring in Mike Doyle. I needed... You know, we were doing this on paying all our own way. Uh, I was, we all were, it was costing us a fortune. And we didn't have this much money to burn either, so. Mm. So I needed a budget. Um, I needed an expense account for Mike. Um, we needed, at least if we were taking teams away, to receive something that would make us not spend money. 50 pound a day would do it. Because you, your phone bill was that big mm. half the time. As well as using your own vehicle. So, um, after about four months, I'd say, of sitting down with, with microgaming, they, they decided they would come on board with a three-year plan, quite considerable amount of money, mm. um, uh, X amount first year, I won't go into facts and figures, but X amount first year, second year, and then a bigger sum in the third year, which was the year of the Delhi Commonwealth Games. So we put all this together and we started to compete in, in a number of stage races. So we had proper events lined up, we had a plan, we had a team, we'd launched Team Isle of Man, because uh, I'd seen that within Sports Council, there was a thing called elite team funding that we were never getting any of. It was going to Vagabonds and Douglas all the time and I couldn't work out why and I, I called a meeting with the Sports Council to see why was this happening. Um, they said, well, you're an association, you're not a team. Well, we'll soon change that, won't we? <laughs> so we became Team Isle of Man and uh, we brought in uh, Terry Dolan as a sponsor. We had kit, we had, uh, you know, riders were buying their own bikes, but they were getting it a trade. Mm which meant, which meant a, a quite a comprehensive saving. So, and we set on that road and, uh, and for 2000, from the end of 2007, eight, nine and 10, we grew, we, we grew as a team. I have to move that. Yeah. <laughs> we grew as a team yeah. and, uh, and we achieved our mission statement with when Mark Christian won the bronze medal in uh, Delhi on the track. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So he was a schoolboy in 2007 and he won the bronze yeah. on the Commonwealth. So Good. Yeah, yeah. also, which was, in my, uh, I wasn't a professional in any way, shape, or form to sit down and do debriefs with, with multi with global companies. I wasn't experienced in it really. Mm. So uh, one of my close friends from my young life, Craig Wollstonecroft. I don't know if you know Craig. He owns uh, MMNC, um, main, main mainstream media, etc. Can't remember. They've, they've probably changed the name a little bit now. Very very successful. Um, and he'd always said to me, "If there's anything I can do, give me a shout." Well, you're very, a lot of people say that to you, but they don't expect you to turn around and say, actually, there is. <laughs> so can I have a meeting with you? So I sat down and, and asked him, would he consider coming on board and sponsoring the Isle of Man team? But I don't want any money off you. I just want your, your expertise mm-hmm. um, in how to, how to monitor this and how we're growing and help us grow it. Uh, and he did, and it was the best thing we ever did because mm-hmm. at the end of the year, he could sit down and demonstrate that that company had had X, X amount return mm-hmm. on their investment. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and it worked a treat. It worked a treat. And Craig is, uh, I'm indebted to Craig for his help throughout that period of my life. And it's often uh, in situations like that, uh, surrounding yourself with 
you've got your skill set and your ability whether that's a, a leader to bring the people together to to maybe get your hands into the team tactics and things like that but if you're not if, say fine let's use the word finance is probably not the greatest term but if that's it, it's bringing other people yeah, yeah. being able to identify those skill sets and bring them in to provide that support yeah and, and i suppose at the time we had we had a great and i still think it's lacking now to be fair i've worked uh, you know i've done my 20 years in 2014 15 but i think there's something's lacking here now there's no umbrella to capture all these great riders that are going all, all over the place and not quite making it and they come back to the island and just pack in and yeah. we're better than that i don't yeah, know why yeah. i don't know why that's still there really but we could touch on that maybe later but yeah. at the time this worked this worked really well um and, we, and micro gamer stayed with us for probably five years i'd say six years and they're still a huge supporters of the sport and you know yeah, with yeah. The, the merry band of men there we, they became very close friends and so yeah, yeah. to uh what was I going to ask about? We were talking about. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah. So okay. One thing I would touch on. Oh, yeah. I was, I was going to mention about. Uh, I was going to. I was going to talk about. I was going to ask about Mark Christian because his name came up. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Go on then. Yeah. Uh, just obviously, he got bronze there as a as a rider coming through, and his his talent. And he's, he's. I can't believe that's like eleven years ago now. It's, yeah. No. It's yeah. Not, it's it? amazing. Uh, and you know he's still racing now talent wise yeah uh seems to me you know just he's 30, 30 yeah. next week two weeks yeah, yeah. got the invite <laughs> yeah, yeah. um but yeah he's just just you know he's been like it's like being in football the top scorer in the championship and not quite getting yeah, into yeah. the premiership yeah, isn't yeah. It? and mark's been like that he should have he Which should have had some rise 100 percent. yeah just you kind of look and kind of just always feel like you just for whatever reason, not for want of talent, one of his application, yeah. the type of guy he is, yeah. just what yeah. why isn't that? It seems. <coughs> I can remember. I remember talking about this with Cav one day, and and the problem is with a lot of these pro tour teams now, they pick teams. A lot of the riders in that team in that thirty rider setup, they pick them on numbers and what they can produce, watts wise, and all that. But a lot of these guys aren't born natural racers. You just put them on the front right at this speed like robots you become a robot yeah, yeah. whereas chris mark's a racer and uh and this is and this is cav's words this is why the pro peloton has become so dangerous and there's so many crashes everywhere is a lot of these guys aren't great bike riders and handlers if you yeah, know what i mean they're, yeah. they're big strong engines and they can produce the watts and they can they can you know can do what you want them to do but it's become very mechanized the sport yeah, hasn't yeah. it and the, the fluidity of bike races and people Licking this and doing this, that's going from the sport a little bit. I, I always compare when I look at it, maybe because of the dynamics of the race, when you look at the British road race champs, and maybe because of the team set, but you look at that, that's very much what I call an old school race where the teams are small, so it's kind of not quite every man for himself, but it's a brutal hard race, but yeah, yeah. tactically driven. And you look at Mark as an example where he's always up the front end of that race yeah, yeah. because it's what yeah. I call old school yeah. racing. Yeah. And, uh, and he's up the front with why well, I say, I mean, he's obviously pro level. Or skirt around the edges of it, but yeah, yeah. full time, long in, year in, year out pros, and he, he's in there. And it's that, yeah, it, it's quite interesting because that has lost that, yeah, say mm. that edge. Mm. Yeah. And then, so so early on, you mentioned about Jeff Wine. Yeah, yeah. Want to chat a bit about him? And uh, I'd, I'd love to, you know, what a dear friend Jeff was all his life. Um, uh, from taking me away to my first ever race, I suppose. Was he a biker? Back in the no. day, no, no, he's never been a cyclist. No. He, he, he had a, a uh, he was born on the Isle of Man, he moved away to Canada, 
uh, he was married to uh, Florence, moved away to Canada, as had his lads, uh, um, Kevin and Michael, and I think Florence fell ill. So he came back to the island, but he put so much into cycling. Uh, his two sons, they lived in Laxey at the time, and his two sons rode bikes from the age of nine, I think it was. And they ride into Douglas Race and ride home mm-hmm. at nine. You know, we look at that now, it's incredible, isn't it? Um, and I befriended Mike when we were probably early teens, and we raced even as two junior riders we'd travel around to Ireland together we'd race in races or just the pair of us would just take off we rode the junior tour of Ireland together one year just the pair of us went and entered it <laughs> raced it yeah, you know with nothing you know, mm-hmm. sleeping in a school and all that sort of stuff but Jeff was um, uh, it, Je- Jeff's wife died and then and Jeff worked on the uh, on the boat as a purser for a while um, on, but throughout the uh, steam packet Sea Link Manx Line, mm. all these other companies that came in and out of the Isle of Man over the years. But it, it, he was fantastic for us. We were going away. I'll never forget this one little story. I I was sleeping down at Mike's house one night. We were probably 17, I'd say, going away to race in Merseyside. Like we did every weekend, we'd go away. And the phone would be ringing in the house, no mobiles in these days, and Jeff would be on the phone. Where are you? <laughs> I pretended the doors jammed at the back. <laughs> And we'd overslept and we weren't on the boat. So we were flat out down Woodburn Row with a bag on our back to get to the boat. And Jeff had to pretend that there was a problem with the door and we were straight down on the boat. <laughs> Close the boat up in a way. Yeah, yeah. And, and they were great stories from when we were kids. But um, as time went on, Jeff moved around the island and he he, he, um, he set up camp base down here, really, in Balasala, uh, just around the corner from where you are. And uh, I think Mike Doyle approached him Um to see because he was such a, a, a great ambassador for the sport Jeff but you see would he, would he welcome us into his house on a Wednesday and he said he'd love to do that so the first Wednesday a few went down and more and more and it became the tradition it was Jeff's ride on a Wednesday same route every Wednesday bit of a recovery ride bit of a laugh bought Jeff an urn of the big heavy duty toaster and, and he t- changed the name of this room to Balasala Tea Room so we'd all go down there and if it was raining we'd just drive down so oh, right. And as time went on, everybody was turning up at Jeff's. Where Cav was home and all these people were home, they'd come in. Uh, Cal Crutchlow, when he was home, Jeff loved motorsport. So he, he's got Cal Crutchlow in his house and all these people, he was just loving it. Mm. He was living the dream. And uh, and he was an older guy, but this day he's late 70s, you know. Um, he won't mind me saying he was a little bit disheveled. You know, we'd have egg on his shirt and his <laughs> hairs would be sticking out. And, but as Jeff lived like Jeff lived. and um, But we loved him. We loved him. And then... Unfortunately, when he was 81, he passed. He had just walked to the shop, came home, collapsed and, and mm. died. And um, But I remember before that, two or three years before that, he, I, would, I always used to pop in and see him. And he said to me, uh, if, if, um, when, I, uh, when I die, Fergus, uh, will you do a eulogy at my funeral? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I've only come to watch the Formula One with you, Jeff. And, yeah, of course, I'd be honoured, but come on, let's get the kettle on. And, and I never said it. He only wrote it in his will, didn't he? So I had to do the eulogy at his funeral. So I was dead proud to do it, you know. Yeah. And and the, the church around the corner, he had must have had four hundred people, and it was yeah. chocker, you know. And yeah. was a nicer guy you couldn't have wished to meet. And very, and very a memorial ride that goes on now. Yeah, yeah. In, in in memory of Jeff, and uh, we used to pay for his ticket, bring him as a guest to the dinner every year. And it, mm. he wasn't a sponsor; he wasn't a great rider, but he was. We knew what he meant to the sport, so yeah. we yeah. bought his ticket and bring him to the dinner. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, and that was great. What a great guy! Brilliant. What a great guy! Um, just briefly, I yeah, know you, cool. you probably uh, you've talked about Christian. Uh, yeah. uh, you bri- we briefly touched on Christian mm-hmm. and, and how key he was to our sport when he was younger. And and I've known Christian since he was a kid. 
being like an uncle to him, really. Yeah, to work with his old man. Yeah, totally. work with his dad, Tony, um, and you know, Christian's had his troubles, and but what he achieved by doing the ninety marathon, what you guys did for him as well, was just unbelievable. Oh, you did the running. <laughs> yeah, well, he did the running. You did the talking, but it was, <laughs> it was just great. And he's a dear friend of mine, and I always felt like I wanted to mention him. You know, I'm so proud of what he's done and oh, um, yeah. how he's mm. moved on and he's getting through life. And you know, he. The fact, the fact, I was kind of, kind of almost. Suppose the words proud of him that he's willing to to sort of face those and talk about those problems when we first talked about mm. getting him on the podcast. Yeah. yeah, he was a little well, he was reluctant. We recorded yeah. one, he wasn't, you know, he was like, you know, was that the right thing to do? And it took a lot of balls for him to talk about it a lot of balls. And I know a lot of people have reached out to him have, yeah. and have said, you know, can I, can I go for coffee with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What you go through, I, I do, and I just don't know who to talk to about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to, just to do what he does. Yeah. Uh, I still don't think he maybe appreciates the impact he had on people. I really don't. I just, it's kind of like, you know, whatever, you know, I just need to go running three days later, he's running another marathon. Well, it, you're right. And, and, and one thing I've wrote down here is, is that, that cycling for me, even as you go through later life, and I'm not involved in competitive sport anymore, you know, I have a look at it now and again, but time's moved on. I can walk into a change room, nobody even knew who I am now. So, which is fine. You know, times mm. move on, don't they? And it needed to move on. But, Riding a bike is like a form of therapy now to everybody, I yeah, think. Yeah. Well, you must agree yourself. We can mm. all go through uh, dark times in our life, various things that we're not coping with. And with, and you notice it. If you don't ride your bike or, or do any other sport of activity, if you don't do it for two weeks, you can feel two yourself. Days. Two days. Yeah. <laughs> feel yourself going downhill a bit, yeah, can't yeah. you? you know, and, and other people that have never been cyclists. And cycling is such a huge thing on the Isle of Man now. Riding a bike is, isn't it? Whether mm. it's an e-bike, if you're going into the mountains or you're going out with your family, whatever it is, it's given people this unbelievable mm. uh, lease of life. And uh, and, and people are, are wondering why they've never done it before because you just the feel-good factor is just uh, unbelievable. I think I see that with... Uh, sort of certainly when I was racing in the early 90s, biking, they were odd. But that's why I asked about earlier at the start there when you went racing down the bowl if many people were there because certainly in my era the, when, when I first started racing as a schoolboy there was, there was like five six of us racing yeah yeah it went through league was, times yeah. yeah and it was that kind of we- weird sport that no one did and it's yeah. so nice to see that people you know that aren't bikers but just like say getting an e-bike going out on a bike I've seen places that you know yeah. they'd be talking about hills and you'd be like yeah I know that area and I've never been there on the Isle of Man no, just because it's yeah. off the main road yeah uh, yeah it's really good to see I want to go back a little bit actually not to dig into us but and you talked about this dream of having a bike shop. Uh, how did that eventually come about? Um, Mid-90s, I suppose. Uh, I, I, a couple of reasons why I wanted to do it, which I won't go into, but you know, a couple of friends of mine had, uh, I'd recommended to go somewhere and, and they weren't treated very well, and etc. And I just thought, well, you know, there's got to be a better way of doing this. So um, I made a few inquiries. I had a f- you know, one thing you do in sport, when you've been in a sport as long as I have, you, you, you've networked with a lot of people when we were racing away or whatever. And cyclists are notorious for staying involved in the sport, whether they become working for companies and reps or, or they own bike shops or whatever they do. They don't, you don't, you don't fall far from the tree, do you? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're only around the corner, really. So I made a few inquiries, um, went away, tried to get some dealerships. Uh, I could get them. I didn't have any money at this stage, but my... Um, Details, details. Details. Well, a very good friend of mine has been mentioned earlier on uh, on this podcast. Uh, um, lent me a little bit of money, right. but I still needed a partner because I was um, I was still in the fire service, and I had to, in a funny sort of way, I had to manipulate that a little bit because you weren't allowed to be a, 
director of the business or anything when you were in it. So uh, I just became a shareholder. <laughs> well, screw yeah. it over the rest. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I had a bit of a, yeah, some debates, but uh, but anyway, it, it, the dream dream happened and yeah, um, yeah got it. So that was obviously bike style. Yeah, that was bike mean. style in yeah. them days. So uh, myself and uh, Terry Quayle became partners, mm. um, and his son Gavin, who's now uh, the owner of it, uh, Gavin came on board quite uh, quite shortly after, and really um, we worked together for for a number of years and mm. but I suppose as you get older you, you, you just I'm a very driven person and I, and I like to try and achieve things whether it's right or wrong I, I don't feel like if I haven't tried then mm. you know, I, I would always be thinking what if mm. so um, that you know Elliot Baxter came and worked with us for a yeah, while yeah. Who's, who's been a lifelong friend of mine um, but it got to a stage I think that you know we just wanted different things really so mm. um, I we parted our ways and uh, I didn't do anything for a little bit, to be fair. I was finishing my fire service career. Um, had a bad accident, a bad, bad accident in Portugal in a mountain bike event, which changed my life a little bit, really. It sent me to a, a bit of a dark place because I'd come out of the emergency services, so a 30-year career of having a buzz and having this, that, and the other. I had a little bit of a sketchy life plan. Um, by this stage, I'd become a, um, a run leader and was working on training camps in Mallorca. I was yeah. quite well-respected out there. knew the place like the back of my hand. So taking bike rides out. Yeah, taking yeah. bike rides out, but also put a bit of structure to it as well. So, um, and I loved that. absolutely loved it. So I had a, a bit of a thing lined up there that I would be doing sort of four or five months in Mallorca, really, if, if, if I could get away with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had a little part-time job lined up here, and then that, was, that was my life. But I'd got myself quite fit again. Doing 500 miles a week in Mallorca sort of helped with that. It sort of knocked some of the lumps into different places. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get rid of them forever, yeah, but they yeah. do move. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, me, and a, me and a friend had uh, set about, uh, entered the Trans Portugal, which is an eight-day endurance mountain bike event, uh, around 150k a day, yeah. um, all off-road, so 10-hour days, basically. Um, but I had a bad accident there, and... Um, on one of the stages and dislocate I landed on my left arm and smashed it into five me ulna and then I dislocated my elbow and it completely articulated the other way which ripped all the ligaments off and snapped the head off the radius bone mm -hmm. so I was lying there sort of um, taken to, to hospital I was a week in hospital in Portugal and then repatriated back home and then four or five years of surgery since really right. so uh, I was told I'd never ride a bike again and I'd never I'd never be a fireman again and all that sort of stuff. Oh, but right. I'd left the whole time fire service anyway, but I was still part time. Right. I'd kept my rank and I was going to stay just a retained fireman in Douglas. And, and I loved that. It was good. And oh. Sorry, just then, that news no bike, no fire service. When we talk about, I guess, going back to identity and everything like that, yeah, yeah. How, how, did, how did you feel here? Not news? good. <laughs> Not good. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Um, you call on some deep reserves, really, I think. Uh, did a lot of walking. Right. Uh, went for a bit of help. Right. Um, Got family and friends around you as well. Yeah, yeah. Are you one for talking about it with them, or would you be keep a lot? Of being, I was. Be, I would say being a man, but a lot of men, and we're all like that. We don't talk about well, emotions too much. I did to an extent. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've done a little bit of work with that in the fire service. I worked right. on a trauma support team within the mm. fire service and. So you kind of see signs of this is yeah, it's like not, right say not here, good yeah, behaviour. Yeah, yeah. Well, you were lost all of a sudden, mm, right. you know. As you say, your identity's gone, but yeah, 
you had an attachment to even if you've come out of an emergency service which which is hard enough in its own right I mean, you know, when you've lived and breathed something for 30 years mm. so then the little bit you were turning to is that's been taken away from mm. you and you know, I nearly lost my arm so um, yeah it, it was a bit of a battle really but I set myself goals and even though you come out of the fire service there's a support structure there so I was in a rehab centre in Penrith two or three times and uh, but then uh, it's rehab for, for physical but it's mental as well that helped for me massively right. massively I mean you were well I suppose I haven't been through that trauma side of things because again just observations and certainly maybe more I don't use the word old school of gentlemen but yeah, yeah, that yeah. Of, of just you've got to man up and get on with it no. but no no You'd have probably sure have seen that through the fire service. I have, the, but the, the times have changed yeah. and, and for the better. Mm, without yeah, them, people have got to talk. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And which is why I had such a such an endearing link with Christian, really. Right. Okay. Yeah, it can relate to. Yeah, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. There was a little piece in the middle of there that I missed on that. Uh, I opened Starbucks in Douglas. I've uh, just written a note. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. For a friend of mine, Ian Morrow, who's yeah. the. Uh, I wrote Costa. You know, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was over over a beer one night, and he asked me would I manage this thing for him, and I didn't really give it enough thought, and said, "Yeah, I, well, I, that sounds like it'd be a little bit of a laugh. I'll have a go at that." Yeah. So I did all the training and went away to Manchester, and um, you know, I enjoyed it. To be a barista. I enjoyed that bit of banter. Um, it, it was great, but I was I was in Manchester in a Starbucks managing a store in Piccadilly, and uh, in walked Christian. The last person in the world I'd expect to see, and I was certainly the last person he'd expect to see, because the last time he'd seen me, I was his manager at the fire station. So, um, uh, he must have looked at me and thought, "There's a Fergus has got a doppelganger here. What's going on here?" And I give him the shout, and I, I said, I'll, "I'll sort something out. I'll come over and sit, sit with you." And then, and Christian had just come out of his rehab then, so um, we. We openly talked. I said, "Listen, I'll take you for tea tonight." So we'll go out for tea, and we went to went and had something to eat because he did, Christian was uh, didn't have anything, you mm. know, it, and he was just starting life again, really. So uh, I took him for tea, and we went to the comedy club and tried to have a laugh, and you know, there, there was yeah. nothing else involved. So it, it was yeah. good. It was clean. It was fresh, and we, I think, we did it again. Um, and then he was going for interviews and different bits and pieces. So yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I can relate massively to Christian. Yeah, massively. That, uh, it's interesting that the Starbucks, the, again, mm -hmm. I guess that drive side, isn't it? Of here's something exciting well, like, and, new. And, yeah, like you said, it's an identity, isn't it? It's mm. something, somebody's got some faith in you and want you to do something. But right. uh, it didn't suit me mm. at all. And it was very difficult to, to uh, go from, I don't know, being a ranked officer in an emergency service where you, ha you have a sense of belonging and you are somebody and you turn up and you're there to help people and you're good at your job. I was good at my job. So. To go into being just to what the general public think is just a bloke in a cafe, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you get spoke to not the best, and nobody speaks to you like that in the phone. Only your mates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but the general public respect yeah, you, yeah. and they're made up to see you. But um, in places like that, it's it's different. It's a different culture, different world. Mm. And I and I struggled to adapt to it really. Right. I say, but I guess like similar to what you said before is that you want to give those things a go to say what if. It could have worked, you know, it's just quite And I actually learned a lot, you know. I I, I like learning things. It's mm. it's great. I, I I struggle with certain IT stuff to be fair, but 
know, it's hard for the young people now to realise that there wasn't even a computer at school when we were there. So you know, uh, and people laugh. At, I was having a laugh last night when I put a DVD in to watch because uh, I couldn't get it on uh, Netflix or on Prime, right. but I've got it on a DVD. And I said, uh, the youth now would laugh their head off when they see a, a shelf opening up in, a, in something and they say, well, why don't you just play it off your phone? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, different. Yeah, you're right, yeah, you're right. So you started to then, you mentioned before about kind of doing your term in regard to helping, helping cycling, working in cycling. When that came to an end, was that around the time of the the crash no uh, i'd already made a decision i think uh, going to the games in edinburgh in uh, in glasgow sorry in 2014 when when um wrote it was probably roachy's last games uh, peter was riding cav was injured after his crash in harrogate i think and he couldn't ride but he came up anyway in my head i thought of i i thought i've done my time here you know uh, i've moved on a generation and and half of these people that are coming in now don't even think you've ever rode a bike, don't think you know anything about anything. Mm. Um, and it's fair to say some people can speak to you not appropriately. Right. Younger riders, good riders as well. And I didn't like it, right. really. So, yeah. And I thought, well, I've done 20 years of this at, at huge sacrifice to my own personal life, to relationships, to your family. So Time was, time time was, was enough, yeah. Right, yeah. okay. And uh, were you uh, at this stage? Were you still riding a bike and keeping fit? And yeah, 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 right. Yeah. Okay, and I'd still go out. We still have our kit on. I go out with the team. We yeah, ride. Yeah. They'd wait for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Certainly, if it went uphill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the way the cap. Yeah. I was all right, Derek. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so since and I suppose since then, then you've although you kind of I call peripheral around the sport, you're quite and rightly so quite content not to get knee deep in stuff again. Yeah, no, I. I yeah, I, I can do some things and, yeah, I, and yeah. I choose not to do them. Really. Yeah, yeah. So I needed that separation really for a couple of years and then, um, which I got, I never went to a bike race. I never, you know, and then I remember riding out to a 25 presentation in Balaf and I think I walked in and nobody, nobody even said hello and I thought, that time is gone, you know, that, yeah, um, I mean, the, the lads were there, Sconner and, you know, Johnny and all the boys were there, used to be there, but everyone gets involved, yeah, everybody's, busy doing in the sport aren't they so when you take a step back and you look at it from the outside it's a it's a bit different now i think right uh, you know i think the sport's changed we've got unbelievable talent over here still it just keeps on going doesn't mm -hmm. it and it's it, you know the achievements of the lads max and, uh, and all them boys now it's just phenomenal it's great and the women have just been unbelievable mm -hmm. you know and it's great to read it all on a but i don't want to get involved in it those early years when you stepped away, did you find it hard to look inwards? Certainly when I stopped I didn't even look in, to be fair. No, all right. I but but that was a conscious decision. Of well, no, I, I didn't. I, it didn't bother me. Right. I didn't. Uh, I'd gone down this other road, and then I'd had my injury, mm. and then I thought, you know, I don't know. It's, I, was, I was dealing with stuff myself, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I didn't yeah, want yeah, yeah, to be going out to bike races and stuff. Mm. So, so uh, I suppose one of the questions, I mean, we didn't, I mean, we should have talked before we start recording this, but <laughs> obviously you ended up working in 360 as a general public, people look back, you owned a bike shop and arguably people would just look and move to a competitor, I think the reality is we've all got to earn a job and it's not, yeah, we're, not we're not living it in a hot like that, really. Yeah, no, and I'm sure, and yeah. that's why I just want to chat about your yeah. perspective of I, things, I really. Th when I, w I wasn't working for a little while, so, and I was quite happy, I've got my fire service pension and bits and pieces, so, um, but you still need a belonging you still need it you need you got to get up with mm. a purpose to the day and you can't just write going i'm only you know i'm 57 now so 
it's too young to do nothing and, I, and I'm a driven person and, I'm, and I've got a strong work ethic so I like doing things um, and then I got this phone call one day out of the blue from uh, Mark and Peter Hosthouse the, 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 they had been working on something for four years and, and uh, wanted to know they were, they were talking to key people within the sport of cycling just to get some feedback on whether they think it was a viable uh, concept or what they thought and um, I sat down and, and looked at the whole thing and I was blown away of them honestly I just thought this is everything I'd always want to do but to the to the normal person the average person it's just beyond yeah. uh, you know your resources <laughs> certainly, be, certainly yeah. beyond my budget yeah without yeah. doubt so but what a, what an unbelievable uh, vision you know um, uh, so Mark and Sasha have had this vision to do it Peter's um, Peter's on board with the whole thing and, and supporting his son all the way and um, and it's, it's just fantastic, you know. So mm. I, I got involved at a very early stage. I still had a lot of contacts away, so I still knew where we can get things, different things from and different companies. And um, and we went, me and Mark went to a bike show. And it's great when people shout your name when you're walking past because they remember you. Mm. Oh, what are you up to these days? And I said, well, if you've got five minutes, let us, uh, let us run through things. So, mm. um, uh, so before you know it, a number of, Without going to the ins and outs yeah, of more, yeah, but yeah. a number of big companies have come on board, and and then and as the as it's self perpetuating, it's uh, it's grown, it, it's forever changing. I love the fact that the don't stand still. Yeah, that's the impression. I yeah, 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 they're not standing still, and there's about five projects on the go at the moment. You know, when we open our new service centre, which is where our store is, because it's just so busy. So, and as we touched on before, everybody's riding bikes with COVID nineteen mm. kicking in, which I know we haven't touched on, but um, everybody's everybody's had to reinvent themselves a little bit really mm -hmm. and, and have a quick look at life's priorities and you know what are you in life if you haven't got your health yeah, you're, yeah. you're nothing are you mm -hmm. you can have all the money in the world and be the unhappiest man in the world and this is why we touched on therapy and ride your bike before um, and people are now realising the health benefits psychological benefits of, of being fit and healthy and outdoors so it's the first thing they really said when, when lockdown came wasn't it it was you know you know, you can, they, they said you, one thing you can go out for is your exercise. Mm. So, yeah, no. you know. There was a fine line, wasn't it? All your mates were, were, were lovely and tanned and brown lying <laughs> in the garden, and you were as white as a ghost working 10 hours a day in the bike <laughs> business. Yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Um, busy, yeah. But it's, it's, it's grown, and you know, with, uh, all the bike shops in the islands will, will, on the island will have flourished, and, uh, and it, you've got to grasp onto that and capture it while it's there and move forward. So, and you you're, uh, you work up there a few days a week. I'm full time. I'm okay. a, I manage the bike shop side of it. I've been there right. from the start, so and we're growing a really good team. Right. Um, good. And, and and I can't see it slowing down at the moment, really. You know, okay. I'll slow down certainly. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably, probably. Well, you maybe I mean? in you know eight nine months time, I'll need to drop a day a week. Right. But um, but I love it. It's a, a great team. The people that the people that work there are just fun. They're they're good. I'm like a granddad, really, aren't I? <laughs> so but they keep you young, don't they? Young people keep you young. Old people keep you old, yeah. so don't knock about with me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> keep, yeah, yeah. And I, I know more in the more recent time you moved back up to Ramsey. Yeah. Uh, well, I've never lived in Ramsey. Oh. I know you say back up to Ramsey. Everybody, well, sorry, everybody, yeah, I don't know why, yeah. everybody thinks that because from a very, it's a mad thing. And we only just you mentioned it before the show. But when I was at, when I was young and at school, I, I was quite. Uh, I liked. I played a lot of rugby. So I was captain of the rugby team at, at Balakamine and at St Ninians, and then I never played really because I was a cyclist. But a friend of mine, Ian Gale, phoned me up when I was 21, I think, to say, could I come and play fullback for Peel? Because their fullback had broken wrist. They didn't have anyone to play. 
So I went, I didn't have any kit and I went out and I had an absolute ball. I loved it. And uh, it was a different a different feeling of, of elation. If you win a game as a team, it's a bit mm. different to winning it on your own. Two different sides of it. Um, they don't, rugby, at the time, rugby didn't have a great training ethic. Compared with cycling, you have to ride, your, you have to train five days a week, don't you? And you have, you have to, if you mm. don't, you take one day off, it takes you two days to get back to where you were. Um, so I, I just loved it. And then within two years, I'd, I'd gone to play at Ramsey. Um, mm. I loved the lads up there. They were all beautiful and they were all young. They were all, well, at the time, my age. <laughs> right. um, and the, the, I just had the, I, it, it always had this massive, strong sense of community up there. I, I loved the way when the lads talked about their youth compared with growing up in, in Onkin and Douglas, their youthful side was bombing around fields in cars that they'd managed to get going on a farm, you know what I mean? And go shooting rabbits and mm. all the things they do in the country compared to what you do in a town. And I just loved that banter and that mm. talk and always stayed friends with them. I played up there for 25 years. Two of the worst sports to put together, rugby and cycling, ever do it. It's I'd have to go on the rollers after after playing a game of rugby and having probably four or five beers and then going on the rollers when I got home to make my legs work ready mm. to go out in a club run the next day. But I did it and I loved it. And and to be fair, my best, some of my strongest friendship groups are, are still there in that. Hence Whereas the cycling, you don't, if, if you didn't keep in group involved with the, the riders I was taking away all them years, you wouldn't hear from them. Yeah. But you, but with, with that you do. So it's, uh, it's, it's the community thing really. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the drivers for going that oh, way. Oh, absolutely. Well, that, that, that and I didn't want, uh, for me, uh, the ruin and Douglas slowly year on year. And, and, and mm. you can't park. I couldn't park in my house. You can't park anywhere in town. The businesses are closing. And if you can't see what they're doing down there, I can't, I can't believe it. But um, I wanted to go somewhere. I wanted to be in a house that was manageable over the next 10 years. I wanted to be able to paint it off a normal ladder. I wanted to be able to park on my own drive. I wanted a view of the mountains. Mm. I wanted to walk into town and have a coffee or a beer. Mm. Uh, and and that's all I wanted to do, and and I go out on my bike straight out, and I'm in the country, and mm. I love it. Mm. I love it. Mm. When you look back at uh, sporting memories for for you, I suppose twofold question: one for sort of the proudest aspect from looking at someone else's achievements, yeah. and then maybe your own as well. Um, well, I th- I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't a great cyclist, so I was. I, I I built some great friends and they're still my friends now and yeah. I, I so wrote, that's an achievement, I suppose. An well, achievement I rode in two uh, Commonwealth Games. I was yeah, made up yeah. to do that and represent the island. I made my parents proud and made my friends proud and uh, had a few good wins in cycle week. But they're only at my level, you know. That you know, I loved Peel Kermesse. That was great. I won mm, about five yeah, times the around there. Yeah. yeah, I used to love the Kermesses, Peel, Doug Castletown. I won all them Kermesses and as you say, the Kerwins and stuff. But you know, getting through the RAS and and winning bunch sprints in these places and. No, it, it all builds that little picture, but yeah, as far as managing, yeah, strong emotions over different things. Uh, you know, holding Roach in your arms when he's crashed in the Equalo the time trial, he was a broken man, you know, when he wanted to try and meddle in it, or, well, I couldn't, couldn't even talk when Cav won his gold in 2006. Mm. Um, I remember um, Tim's mother coming up and wanting to interview her, I said, I can't talk. Right. <laughs> Too emotional, don't talk to me, I can't talk. <laughs> uh, more upset than Cav was. All right. <laughs> Mm. But uh, yeah, uh, like Rochi talked on it, uh, when, on his podcast. You, when you th- when you do what we do and manage teams and take people away, you, you can't do it for them. You've got to do it for you, mm-hmm. because I got I got everything out of that. You know, the, at that stage of my life, it made me tick and it made it, yeah, it yeah. made me proud. And you're part of a team of guys. You're having fun. You've got to have fun wherever yeah, you go. You've yeah. got to have a laugh. Yeah. 
yeah, take yeah. the mickey, a bit of banter. Sometimes I have to go in there. Well, I know, I know, because one of my friends has taken the team away and they're on their phones all the time, yeah, and it's yeah. all changed that. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the old fashioned humour and banter and mickey taking. It feels like camaraderie in that yeah, absolutely building does, as well, yeah. doesn't Laughing it? Laughing at other people's misfortune. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that, like Forrest earlier, it's the name I've, again, not heard for a long while, but again, a member of the, when you look at, talking earlier about people we want to chat to as well about who mm. do grassroots stuff, and I like yeah. one, one of them. Yeah, was, absolutely, uh, yeah. Kids, uh, Lincoln and, was it? Brian. Yeah, and uh, <coughs> they raced, and uh, yeah, I remember Alex taking me away, I remember you and Alex taking us away racing to Essex, and yeah, going yeah, back yeah. to Lancaster and having the van broken into, oh, we yeah. parked in the car yeah, park yeah. and had a, all the bags nicked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but just, just memory stories. And another one of going with it, we talk about. I'm sure you'll appreciate uh, talking about Paco uh, <laughs> and going away to the Essex, and you rented a like a farmhouse we stayed in. It's like it was a pig barn. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, no, so wasn't it the second year it was converted pig barn where it was room, oh, right, but okay. the first year wasn't it a house because there was no hot water. I think. <laughs> Paco was shaving. It was cheap. His, yeah, Paco was shaving way. his legs in, oh, uh, yeah. in the bath. It looked like a like a murder scene when <laughs> yeah, he finished yeah, yeah. in there. Paco, uh, he's missed really. He was a bizarre character, as Tony was. Yeah, he, yeah. But he um, he brought so much fun to everything. Yeah, he, yeah. You're right. That was like a murder scene because he'd shaved his he, instead of shaving his legs all you just decided to shave him the night before the race and cut himself to pieces yeah, and he yeah. looked like a it was a bloodbath. Yeah, it did look like. Well, a the murder other scene. thing I remember about Tony really well was that we were at the Island Games in Jersey in late 90s I think it was yeah. and he, he had uh, blocked sinuses <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Andy Rhodes would tell you yeah, laugh yeah. at this so uh, we said well listen there's only one answer for that you, surely you've heard of it and he says what, what's that he said well you've got to hang your head upside down and put warm salt water up one nostril and <laughs> so, don't move and like... don't move so we hung him out the window <laughs> got this hot salt and put it up his nostril well, I'm still laughing now. You've never seen anything like it in your life. Half of his innards came out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was hilarious, honestly. Yeah, his yeah. nose was worse. <laughs> full of water, that's why. Oh, full of water and, and problems, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But just a lot, just fun, and we, you know, we had so much fun all the way through. Uh, I know one thing uh, that we haven't touched on is one thing about me is I'm a bit of a traditionalist. I like tradition. I love old-fashioned tradition stuff, and. Um, the only thing now I do in cycling is organise the Baltic ride, <laughs> no, yeah. which goes back to um, uh, uh, when I was 15. I can I think it started 10 or 15 years beforehand when a group of cyclists were out on a bike ride out around Peel on a Wednesday night and the weather turned foul really, really bad and they dived into the Hawthorne for shelter on a Wednesday before Christmas and uh, they didn't realise it, but it was the Hawthorne Ladies Women's Darts Team Christmas Do. And before you know it, I think there was Nick Cork or Colin Bowen. Uh, these might be names you might have heard of. Yeah, Rob yeah. Rohrer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they ended up having a few beers and joining in with the women and having such a great night that the following year, they, they purposely went on a bike ride to, to join in with the. And I think even uh, Brian Roach might have been the landlord of the, of the mm -hmm. Hawthorne at the time. He might not have been. I'm not too sure on facts. But this carried on for years and years and years and grew into this Hawthorne run that uh, I went on when I was 15 for the first time. But no money, none of us had money, did we? But the old fellas wanted you there and they'd always buy you a pint and, and we'd make our way home safe and sound as mm. usual, but in all sorts of things. But this carried on for years and years and years and years. And, I, and all them original guys had passed away now, Colin Bowen, um, I'm not sure where Mick Watson is, but certainly Nick Corkle, who was a dear friend of mine and, and a good coach to me when I was younger as well. And I really, really miss Nick. 
Um, and it moved to the farmer's arms and now it goes to the Baltic and it's grown in, in layers and it's now a carol service. People go off road there. There's a, they set up a temporary little um, water hole for what of a better term mm-hmm. in Arch Allegan with big battery operated fairy lights and the, mm-hmm. the whole thing is great. And I'm, I've not missed one since I was 15. Mm-hmm. So this is my 43rd this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that would be the 22nd of December, I guess, the this 16th year. 16th is this year. Oh, the week before, yeah, it's right. It's too close to Christmas. You won't get away with it with oh, the missus. Okay, yeah. right, right. So the week before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's the only thing I've I'm traditionally involved in there, but I, I, I'll do it until I can't do it. Yeah. Head to the Baltic. Last year was a Storm Force 9 from Ramsey, and I still got there. Right, okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I've, I've done that a couple in the when it was in the Hawthorne days, a couple of those Hawthorne rides. Uh, I'm back to Studebaker's after because <laughs> it was back then. That's with Jameson, you know, the Jameson yeah, brothers, yeah, 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 those boys, yeah, are names that just come back back now. I just remembered that then. I thought well, I'd better stick it in. Uh, yeah. uh, if uh, you mentioned earlier about Jeff and somebody was doing your eulogy, what would you expect someone to talk to you, talk about you about? I'd write a friend. it. I think I'd write yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Start with the Kerwins. <laughs> and end with it, yeah. Uh, I don't know. What would you like people to think of you? Uh, ooh, that's a difficult one, isn't it? I, I really don't know. Um, um, I get the impression you care. Yeah, I do care. But then, your, your family, your, your career, your... Uh, do you still see know. the farming boys? Oh yeah, regularly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um, I'd imagine that's much like a brotherhood type of thing. Yeah. We were out last Wednesday afternoon actually, we having yeah. an autumn do. Oh right, okay. Well a big age comes out with us in, in oh, his chair yeah, and yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we have a do. We've got Scott has organised a Christmas one. All right, okay. So God knows what'll happen after that. <laughs> be the wrong venue at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you can make a decision. We, yeah, yeah, we yeah. love we love Scott. Yeah, He's yeah, great. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, down Castletown at Christmas. So yeah, see a lot of them. Um I've always been a cyclist all my life. So whether now I'm just involved with um, the Ramsey Scone Run, so we go out on a Wednesday morning and a Saturday morning. I'm generally on the front, but I, only purely because I'm, 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 my, my vision's not the best anymore. I've early stages of glycoma, so uh, that that affects your your vision a little bit. But plus, I can't afford to hit a pothole, so if some with the arm. if some inexperienced mm. rider on the front doesn't point them out and I hit it, my arm is killing me. So. Oh, uh, okay. So the yeah, of it. but but you I can you can control the pace and make it quite. Yeah. Uh, in the summer we'll be riding at eighteen and nineteen mile an hour, and the winter will be dropping to seventeen ish. So, yeah, yeah. but it's good and everybody enjoys it. We split it into two groups, and then it's just a banter and mm. uh, Mickey take and you know that's what I love. Yeah. I always think the day you stop laughing is the day you stop living. That's what we wrote yeah, on my yeah, uh, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a sort of a Biden memory again. I go back talking earlier about going away racing that. Uh, it was always good fun. It was when we needed to race, we raced. Yeah, there was yeah. always a discussion mm. of. I remember being at my first games. You were the team manager there. It'd be a lot of fun. And when the time, I remember before the, the crit, which was my first kind of big race, really at the Island Games. And uh, you could, pro- I guess, looking back, you could probably tell I wasn't in a great place in regards to nerves and whatever. And it was just a quiet word. Yeah. And where somebody else might have been getting a 
you know, a different approach. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I was always fun yeah. throughout the going yeah, away. Yeah. It, was a laugh. it was just yeah. a laugh. It was a and it's identifying trip, that in people. I think uh, you've got to do that in life is you can identify in people. It, we did it in the fire service a lot. Certain people were, had a lot of good strengths and other people's, they were other people's weaknesses. Yeah. And it's molding that. And, but just having a quiet word if somebody needs it. And that's why I got involved with uh, trauma support after incidents. You know, you could tell if somebody was affected by something. and and just trying to help them get through some stuff or doing psychological debriefs, etc. So I always, I think, subconsciously had an, had an interest in that. And mm. I think with cycling, um, there's, there's a lot of people just need um, uh, a bit of self-belief, mm. you know? And uh, yeah, the, the, but we always have fun. I mean, we, but I'm always a believer, if you're good at what you do, if you put your best into something, then you can have the fun after car. Yeah, mm. you can have the Mickey taken on the way home. And every at the end of the day, we're not making money out of yeah. this, are we? Mm. So let's enjoy it because mm. it's it, you know it can come too serious sometimes. Yeah. You do all your training, and then everybody is going as best as they can do. And and if everybody rides for each other and looks out for each other, then we can we can have the crack yeah. Up, uh, yeah. later on. And uh, and and that's that goes throughout life. I think you know we have some banter on our our rides, and we've got a, another little rugby club type thing I, I go out with on a Thursday night uh, they're just guys I played rugby with or grew up with um, in a different aspect but we got on a bike so we've got uh, you know we'll do 25 mile on a Thursday night and then go to the pub yeah. but it's fun it's Mickey yeah. taken and you never laugh I never laugh so much here for two hours every Thursday yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, you know and, and it's all about la- having having a, making life as good and as as it can be and the bike has been that mechanism for me to be able to do that I suppose you mentioned maybe next year or later in the year, you know, or next year now, I guess, going down a day. What's your kind of hopes over the next, you know, because you're still relatively 58, not old. No. What are your plans? Um, I don't you're know, really. I've got a, I've got a, um, and what, you always not, live here. He's nine. Oh, yeah, yeah, I will, mm. yeah. At one stage, I thought I'd have a base in Mallorca, but having been there when my arm was smashed up and couldn't ride my bike, it's a different, it brings a different... Mm. It's a lonely place, you know. You need your friends. Uh, well, I wonder whether you've just got your network in Mallorca, which was your cycling guys. I wonder if you actually bedded down there and you were going to local coffee shops and started meeting. Well, I know a lot I of people know. that live there, right. but it's not for me. Okay. I, I, I think if I went, uh, well, I'm, I'm getting too old for that now, but I'd still go back and still go out for a month or so and mm. ride there. And, and, and that, I love that. But I've got such a great friend network of friends over here that I, I don't need much else. Mm. And, and you've got, you know, in fact, it's too many. Sometimes you get too many friends. Like you can't do everything, can you? Yeah. So um, it's good. Life's good at the moment, yeah. really. I mean, grandson's eight. Bob, young Bobby, yeah. um, he's nine tomorrow. So and he's doing everything. He's a bit like me. I mean, he plays rugby at Douglas. He plays on. He's on can under tens goalkeeper, and he races down a sports center, yeah. and he's trying to juggle everything. And, and boys, you know, if you pick him up from school, all the kids are shouting, "Bobby, Bobby's here tomorrow!" And yeah, that's okay. the most important thing for me. Yeah, right. he's, ex- he's not. He's accepted and he's good fun and everybody loves him. So if you're on granddad duties. Granddad duties, yeah. Mm, right. I said just don't call me granddad anymore. Oh, right. <laughs> just call you Burgess. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm picking him up and my mates are picking their kids up yeah, and they're the same right. age as me. <laughs> Uncle Gary. Uh, thanks for coming in. It's been good no, to chat and reminisce. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I think I uh, just kind of when you were chatting, when we talk about stepping away from cycling, I always this isn't to make you feel guilty. But you always, you know, when someone's so passionate about the sport, the heart's in the right place to do the right things. It's quite hard to see them not be involved. Again, if someone who's involved in something like, here's someone who can well, add, add value. Yeah. But I also but understand I that you've done. Now, yeah, yeah. I've had that time away. Yeah, so, I guess, yeah. Um, I think I've got 
maybe something else to offer on a more strategic level, yeah. not um, not the personal level. I think you become too old for it, and, I, and I'm not an old man, and I've got a really a really young outlook on mm. life. But I think the hands-on stuff that Roachy's doing now is great, and he's got that he's got that um, wealth of respect for being a brilliant bike rider. Yeah. So he's yeah. going to do that. But I, I think there's something missing above it. I think there's. Um, I think some more work needs to be, you know, to me, looking at it from an outside, we used to have some big grand dinners and, uh, yeah. you know, we'd have 250 people. We, we were sold out within two weeks. We had proper big guests of honours coming over yeah. uh, and our sport was up here. Yeah. And at the moment, it's up here performance-wise, but where's everything else that supports yeah. that? Yeah. It doesn't seem to be there. And I look at a lot of these riders now that, that and it's great watching the likes of the Mazzoni boys doing well, etc. but they're not earning any money out of it. And at some stage or other, something's going to come to an end. And I don't, I, I, when, when they struggle to adjust to coming back to, to actually doing this and I think Rochi adapted really well and, uh, and I listened intently to Rochi's podcast you know when he came back he struggled because mm. from being a pro bike rider at, at you know potentially world level and having to make those decisions whether mm. to go down that road that was ahead of him or not he came back and I remember having a, a conversation with his dad about it you know what, Andy had so much to offer and, and couldn't walk away from it all and where nobody wanted him to um, and he didn't thank god he didn't because you can still have a great cycling career but not be at world level yeah. you know these guys playing sunday league football have a great time don't they mm. they're not playing premiership they're not playing championship and as we as an Ironman team with with the belief and with the backing um, and the structure and the support should be competing at national and irish level uh, a, a number of stage races a year premier premier calendar level etc etc et put a decent run of 10 or 12 events in a year and have something to aim for and capture all these Nathan Drapers and all these yeah, other yeah. people that, you know, Nathan was eighth in the Junior World Championships and now he's playing football from around yeah. and he's a young lad and yeah. all these other guys that come out of the sport, there's just nothing for them. There's no umbrella to catch them up yeah, and, yeah. and take them on a, on another journey that's not as severe. They can yeah. still work. All of us worked when we were young and yeah. had a great time. And there are memories now. And it's funny you talk about Andrew as well because then keeping in the sport and he's kept in there and now you know he's now really started a women's team from scratch and the value yeah, he's yeah. bringing to the sport yeah, at a later date yeah. as well yeah, so yeah. they're not they're not also not lost on that level as well yeah. from that support whether it's just helping out or to what andrew's doing now in regard to yeah. well in general to cycling men and women but particularly the women that wouldn't be anywhere near where it is now it was so we'd have lost him to the sport at 22 that just wouldn't be happening mm -hmm. now no so that value and keeping them around yeah yeah and mm -hmm. that's up to some of us to do that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'd love, I'd love to get back involved. And I've even talked about, certainly Ireland Games anyway, at a, a more strategic level. And I wrote the bylaws for the Ireland Games cycling um, all those years ago and how it's structured and distance of races, organ, you know, what order to have them in, all by all from experience. Yeah. Um, well, that's again, you look back at 30 years of experience that yeah. you feel like. Uh, and that's why uh, in anything, I, I struggle where people are allowed to walk away you know if, if i had a business and had a guy working in that business for 30 years and he just handed his notice mm -hmm. in and you said all right thanks very much you know well, you know you go you can work him up and you go out the door mm -hmm. you'd want to know why wouldn't you mm -hmm. i'd want to know why what's brought him to that decision yeah. is there something i've missed is there something i haven't uh, i haven't picked up on and and go and have a coffee and have a chat but i mean it happens in the fire service people hand the notice and walk out the door and, it, and, it, and they're letting them mm -hmm. I, I don't get it yeah. and it happens in life that and it, you know you spend yeah. your whole life building experience um which is has a value you're a valuable asset to whatever you, to modern, yeah, whatever yeah. you are involved in and 
Yeah, well, that's why I brought the comment because that's what yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Not that whether that's your own choice or whatever, but that not having that involvement is just, it's just a detriment to. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would, I don't, I'd get involved again. Because you need Marshall at the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you rain all day? Right. Three hours on the corner. Uh, no, thanks well, for coming in. No, no, thanks Gary. for having me. It's yeah, nice no, to talk yeah. about all this sort of stuff, yeah, isn't no, it? No, likewise, Close yeah. to tears sometimes, but it's, uh, <laughs> you manage to hold it back. <laughs> uh, do you want to check us out, Matt? Yeah. So wherever you're listening or potentially watching today, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. Pretty please. Um, social media, Facebook with the M-Word podcast, Twitter, Manx Word podcast for number one, and Instagram, we are the M-Word IOM. Super. Thanks for listening, you sexy people. It's word out from Martin and word out from Matt. And goodbye from Gary. And goodbye from Gary. Goodbye, Gary. Screw you guys, I'm going home.